This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the big Wednesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Douglas Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and I'm excited for this one. We are ranking the quarterback situations for 2021 for all 14 Big Ten teams. We have three guests who will help inform that conversation and we will sprinkle them in. During the course of this podcast, when we get to those teams, we talk to Randy Johnson, who covers Minnesota, to talk about Tanner Morgan. We talk to Aaron McMahon, who covers Michigan, to talk about Cade McNamara, J.J. McCarthy, Alan Bowman, and how that Michigan quarterback situation may shake out. And we talk to our friend Bob Flounders to talk about Sean Clifford and Penn State. But Nathan, Stephen, and I all did our own rankings. But before we start off, and Nathan, and you and I were chatting a bit off the pod, And I didn't want to say what I thought because here's what I came away with after going through all the Big Ten quarterback situations. I am surprised how good I think quarterback play might be in the Big Ten in 2021 because there are a couple teams with super experienced guys. Now, they haven't been great, but like if they – right off into the sunset as seniors play on their best football. There, there are some guys in that position and then they do have a couple decently ranked quarterbacks coming into their own that we don't always have by my calculations. And I, and I did this by, by guys that matter guys that matter. There might be a guy I missed here or there. Guess how many career starts there are among the other 13 programs returning starts for the, for quarterbacks games, they have started in their college careers because at Ohio state, we know the answer is zero. So between the other 13 teams, right? I mean, if you had, if you'd average five starts for each of those guys, it would be uh, 65, right? If you average 10 starts per team, it'd be 130. Nathan, how many do you, how many starts do you think the other Big Ten quarterbacks, guys who were in the mix to play this year, have made in their careers? 202. Nathan, uh, Stephen, what's your guess? I think it's high. I don't know if it's that high. 137. 177, right in between you guys. Okay. And usually, here's, that's how it usually goes. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, like we right. triangulate so, these numbers pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So here's I'm just going to run down the list now so people can start thinking about this before we start doing our rankings. Adrian Martinez at Nebraska, 27 career starts. Tanner Morgan at Minnesota, 26. Anthony Russo at Michigan State, who is like the all-time leader in Temple quarterbacking in every stat. He is a transfer from Temple. He has 26 career starts. 
he's in a battle at Michigan State, but he might be the guy. He's played a lot of college football. Sean Clifford, Penn State, 20 career starts. Brandon Peters, Illinois, 16 career starts. Michael Penix, Indiana, 12. Ryan Helinski at Northwestern, transfer from South Carolina, where he started 11 games as a true freshman in 2019. Jack Plummer at Purdue, who's in a battle there, nine. Uh, Spencer Petrus at Iowa, eight. Noah Vedral, Rutgers, seven. Graham Mertz, Wisconsin, seven. Talia Tonga-Vailoa, Maryland, four. Aiden O'Connell in the battle at Purdue has three. And then Cade McNamara at Michigan has started one. Nathan, like, that's every team. Every team in the Big Ten has a guy who has started a game at quarterback in college football, except Ohio State. I, I guess maybe that's not abnormal, but it's not, I, I don't know. It, it's a little weird to me, right? That there's nobody else who is sort of like starting absolutely from scratch. There's a couple battles, but there's nobody starting from scratch like Ohio State this season. Yeah, the Ohio State thing is abnormal for any team. It's especially abnormal for a team with the aspirations that Ohio State does. And I, I do wonder sometime, somewhat, though, if the, if the pandemic season – if that affected, if that actually opened the door for maybe some more starts at some places, just because things were so jacked up a little bit. But you're right that as I was going through there, I was finding it difficult. I basically split my list up into three tiers and tier one is pretty small and tier three is pretty small. And in tier two, which is like maybe the ceiling isn't that high, but the floor is pretty high too, is pretty fat this year, I think. Like, I don't know that I see a lot of Big Ten teams with just disaster looming at quarterback. Steven, the other thing is that there are a couple dudes who have a little bit of a recruiting pedigree. I have not counting Ohio State because we know Ohio State, but I have four other guys who are at least in the mix to be starting quarterbacks who are top 100 national recruits at quarterback in the Big Ten. You had Brandon Peters, who's like a million years old. He was in the class of 2016. He's a sixth year guy. He's Illinois, started off at Michigan, but once upon a time, he was the number 61 overall player in the class of 2016. Graham Mertz was the number 65 overall player in the class of 2019. He is expected to be the starting quarterback at Wisconsin. We have Ryan Halinski again at Northwestern, transfer from South Carolina, made 11 starts as the number 64 overall recruit in the class of 2019, and then wound up starting at South Carolina as a true freshman because of injuries. And then we have J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, who is a true freshman, who is uh, the number 24 overall recruit in his recruiting class. So that's that's four guys. Then we have three other guys who were ranked between 100 and 200 in their recruiting classes who were in the mix. Adrian Martinez, the number 139 player at Nebraska in the class of 2018. Sean Clifford at Penn State was the number 196 overall player in the class of 2017, will be the starter at Penn State. And then Talia Tonga-Vailoa, the number 180 overall player in the class of 2019. He transferred from Alabama, made four starts at Maryland last year. Steven, I get it. It's not Trevor Lawrence, but it's not Bryce Young and, and, and DJ and everybody. It's not Spencer Rattler, but for the Big Ten, for non-Ohio State Big Ten teams, I feel like that is a, a an okay crop of quarterback recruits who might be on the field at, in, in Big Ten play in 2021. It's a pretty impressive group. And also the guys you just named, 
the, the, they got to the school. They, the schools that they're at, that's the only way that these schools are going to get these caliber of quarterbacks from a recruiting ranking standpoint. You're talking about Northwestern with Ryan Halinski. They tried it before with Hunter Johnson. You know, this is how they're going to get, you know, borderline five-star top 100 guys is if they transfer from somewhere else. You're talking about Brandon Peters at Illinois. I mean, they've got a brand-new head coach. Well, you got to make some things work for yourself. And then you take a school like Wisconsin, who maybe is trying to change its identity a little bit. Not too, There's still a run-first football team and a run-second and maybe a run-third, but trying to improve its quarterback play because they have seen through two Big Ten championship games and along with some other games that that's been the deciding factor a lot of times between them and Ohio State is the quarterback play. So you see them trying to improve that in the recruiting ranking and the, the way they recruit. And then with Maryland going out and getting Talia, that's once again, the new head coach, you have to start how you have to get a good quarterback, how you can get it to start things off. So, but the way that these big 10 programs are getting the quarterbacks five years from now, when we look at Northwestern and, and Wisconsin and, and Michigan, we should be able to say that they, if they have a qu- quarterback of this caliber, this exact same thing happened for them to get it. In the end, I feel like almost every Big Ten team either has a really experienced guy or a young guy with juice. That, like, it's two very distinct groups, Nathan, and you said you were sort of talking in tears. There aren't very many Big Ten programs, maybe two, maybe three, that are just like, ah, I don't know what they're going to do there, right? That, that I mean, it's, that's the way you either play an experienced guy who's been around the block and you hope he peaks at the end and all this experience leads to some wins or you've got a guy you got to recruit maybe he's young but he's got something going on that's why i'm i am like enthused for this podcast first of all because we have good interviews with aaron and randy and bob and you guys are going to learn about those three quarterback situations but nathan the quarterback i didn't realize it i am actually rather intrigued by this big 10 quarterback season heading our way because i think there are a lot of guys that i could imagine in their own way right playing pretty well and the reason that that matters is because there are guys that i could imagine playing well enough against ohio state to matter and again we've talked about this david blau for purdue nate stanley for iowa trace mcsorley for penn state like if you're gonna get ohio state your quarterback probably has to be pretty good that day and between the recruiting juice and the experience i think there are at least like eight quarterbacks in this league, Nathan, that on a given Saturday against Ohio State have the ability, right, the maybe a 20% shot to do something. Yeah, I mean, as much as we talk about the advantages that Ohio State has in terms of talent relative to the rest of this conference, you don't need a Heisman Trophy winner to beat Ohio State on the right day. Now, you need the supporting cast has to be there too. That's what sometimes has elevated, you know, yes, David Blau beat, Ohio State, but he did it with Rondell Moore and he did it with some other guys that were that, that were really the difference makers. I think you'd say the same thing about Nate Stanley, too, that he effectively used the weapons he had. So that's the other the other piece of that. But I think we've also seen occasions where teams that maybe had that sort of supporting cast couldn't get it done because they had just absolutely nothing at quarterback. They had nothing dynamic working at quarterback. So I think the more of these you find in the Big Ten, I think you're right. The, just the odds of it potentially happening to Ohio State do increase. If, it, if, it's, if it's all 12 opponents, it won't be. I don't think the max schools, I wouldn't put them in the same category. But all of your Big Ten opponents start to have stability at quarterback. That makes it tougher to go 9-0 in the Big Ten. Okay, so by the way, we have talked about, right, we did previous podcasts about, like, would you take, the Ohio State quarterback situation or another Big Ten quarterback situation. So we have sort of covered this 
before, but we haven't covered it exactly like we're doing it now. We're ranking it one through 14. I don't remember everything that I said before, but I'm much more educated about it than I was then. So I'm not holding myself to any previous uh, statements about big, uh, the Big Ten quarterback play and how it compares to Ohio State. But we are going to rank it 14 through one. We'll start with 14. We will put Ohio State in here where we think it is. And it is the quarterback situation. Of course, that's mostly the starter, but it's not only the starter. And we are really only thinking about this year. We can talk a little bit about recruiting and what they have coming down the pike, but it's about how quarterback play in the Big Ten will affect the Ohio State Buckeyes in 2021 and putting C.J. Stroud, Kyle McCord, and Jack Miller into context of their conference. That's the goal. Let's start at number 14. For the 14th, the worst quarterback situation in the Big Ten for me this year is Purdue. And that is because they don't know who their starter is. Aiden McConnell. Is it McConnell? Right? Is that O'Connell. Right? O'Connell. Aiden O'Connell won the job out of camp last year for Purdue. They went two and one in his starts. He got hurt. He was lost for the season. They put in Jack Plummer. Jack Plummer is two and seven as a starter in his career. That's who the battle is. They have some other transfer, I think, from UCLA who doesn't seem like it's going to be anything. Nobody's that good. If a walk-on wins your job, I don't think of it as some inspiring thing, Nathan. I think of it as like, I don't have a quarterback. So it's going to be Plummer or O'Connell. Purdue is on Ohio State's schedule. I don't think either of them is particularly good. I have them last. Where did you have Purdue on your list, Nathan? I had them 10th. I hear what you're saying as far as that uncertainty. I think the problem, though, is that both of those guys, when they played last year, if you get the combined quarterback performance of those two guys, it's better than the demonstrated quarterback performance of some of these other teams that are presumably higher on your list and are much lower on mine. So that's what it comes back to at the end of the day for me. It's I almost see them as having a better quarterback situation because they have two guys who have proven some capability of going out there and playing. And some of these teams still barely have one. Where did you have Purdue, Stephen? 13th, a lot of the same reasons. I just I think there's what one situation that's a little bit worse than theirs. Um, I think it's it's competent, but I don't necessarily think it's going to win you a lot of games, but also because they don't really have a lot of weapons around it on the offensive side. So what what was Nathan, you were saying to have them 10th, you thought they ex- exhibited some competency last year. Um I'm trying to look up the stats in front of me. I, I mean, I've, not... I've got I've got the stats in front of me. And Plummer was Plummer completed 71% of his passes in three games, 938 yards. Um, I have eight to two on the touchdown interception ratio. I don't know if that's right. And then a 152-58 um, quarterback rating. And then O'Connell also three games, 65% completions, 916 yards. And I, I have seven to two on the quarterback, uh, the the TD interception rating. I don't. That seems wrong, but if that's true, then they were 15 to four combined and then 135 on the quarterback rating. So you're talking about guys who were efficient and who put up good numbers in terms of completion percentage, just sort of those things that a quarterback can control as opposed to the, like you say, the weapons they have around him. They didn't have Rondo Moore very much last year. They do have David Bell, who's one of the best receivers in the Big Ten. Yeah, this Jack Plummer guy who's from Arizona but is not related to Jake Plummer, which is the first thing that everybody who ever hears his name and sees that he's from Arizona asks. It's like you Google, like, is Jack Plummer? And, like, Google fills in, like, related to Jake Plummer. And it's like, no. He's like, everybody thinks I am. He's 6'5", but he's also, like, the guy that they think is, like, more of the runner. So it's like he's 6'5", and the more athletic guy. I guess if a 6'5 guy who can run hits, you might be in good shape. So maybe I am underestimating them, 
But that guy also lost the competition last August or last uh, September, I guess, to the walk-on. So then he played after the walk-on got hurt, and he they are two and seven when he starts. So maybe he's like a big athletic guy who you can't win with. I don't know. I, and I don't know how much we will factor in the environment around the quarterbacks and the coaching around the quarterbacks as a factor in how we're ranking these. I assume that'll just fall down to each person to make that decision. I almost think that the Purdue situation is I'm less optimistic about it because of the way quarterbacks have kind of been treated there. Like they have never picked one guy and gone with him. Like it feels sometimes like one guy doesn't really get the freedom to fail there. And that's something I think a quarterback needs at some point. If you're really going to establish somebody, they're always very wishy-washy there. People probably remember that when it was, when it wasn't David Blau, it was Elijah Sindelar. They're going back and forth between those two guys under Brom. It's, it's, I think a, a leak that Brom has in the program right now that they have to fix. They have to at some point commit to a guy and let him like work through his failure the way that I think all successful quarterbacks have had at some point. I like how you said something about a, a past Purdue quarterback situation. And you said people probably remember nobody remembers. It was, it was something that was in play at the time that they, Ohio state would have been playing Purdue in 2018. Yeah. So, okay. So maybe I'm underestimating him. Maybe if the big tall guy who can run wins the job, he'll do something. But as long as he's getting beaten out by a walk on, I'm, I'm not enthused. All right. I have, so we have Purdue 14th, 10th and 13th. I have Rutgers, 13th. This is Noah Vedral. He's the transfer from Nebraska. He is like, okay. He can move a little bit. 61% completion percentage last year. Again, seven career starts. That crazy game that Rutgers played against Michigan last year, he was 29 of 43 for 381 yards in that game when like Rutgers went toe to toe with Michigan all day. So He's like a patch, right? Greg Schiano and, and Steven, I'm sure you'll get into this. Greg Schiano got a top 100 national quarterback recruit for 2022. So like they're trying to make some moves there. He's a patch. He He's okay. He started off at UCF with Scott Frost. Then he followed Scott Frost in Nebraska. Then he left Nebraska and wound up at, at Rutgers. So he's played a little bit. And I think he's like an actual bottom tier big 10 quarterback. So I had him 13th ahead of Purdue for that reason. Nathan, where'd you have Rutgers? They were 14th on my list. And again, just uh, a, a uninspiring number one with, and I did kind of factor in as a tiebreaker, like, okay, well, if your number one, isn't great, is there something else coming up behind him for 2021 that excites you? And the answer at Rutgers is no. Steven, where'd you have Rutgers? They were 14th for me as well. I think you guys pretty much laid out all the reasons for why. So let me talk about Gavin Wimsat since you brought him up. Number 91 player in the country, number three dual threat quarterback, a four-star. Rutgers is actually putting together a pretty quality 2022 uh, under Greg Schiano there. So, yeah, uh, this is just another patch here until the guy that you is going to be your guy long-term gets there next year, and then we'll see if he can win the job as a true freshman. But for 2021 – they're 14th because it's the same guy who threw nine touchdowns and eight interceptions last season and wasn't very good. So, yeah, I, I, I get that they weren't that good last year. Again, that, that three OT game um, where Michigan beats Rutgers 48, 42 in triple overtime. I'd like to see either of those Purdue guys play a game like that against Michigan where you threw for 381 yards and like tried, 
like carried Rutgers um, like into a competitive game against Michigan. Like I, how many I, of those were trick plays? There's there's the, the, the caveat there. How many I, times did they double reverse and then he threw it to somebody who was open 30 yards down the field because they confused the defense? Was it 381 yards worth of trick plays? I would not put it past Greg Schiano, given the how that Ohio State not. played out. That it was sick. It, it are was you really are you remembering this? Are you remembering multiple passes completed on trick plays because you're remembering the game in your head, or are you just saying it because like Greg Schiano did some crazy stuff in that game? Uh, he threw. So he had some trick plays in that Michigan game as well. It's probably not eighty percent. It probably wasn't as many as he did against Ohio State, but it was a pretty healthy amount. But you're not. Are you remembering a specific pass that Rutgers threw against Michigan that was off a trick play, or are you basing this analysis off the fact that they did some wacky stuff on special teams in the second half against Ohio State? No, no, no. Obviously, off the top of my head, no, I don't remember. Okay, he was 29 of 43 for 381 yards and three touchdowns against Michigan for Rutgers. I'm just saying, like, I'm not saying Noah Vedral is a star. That matters to me. That that's a, I don't remember a squat about that game. He might have thrown every pass behind his back with his eyes closed. But and I know it was triple overtime. But man, I, I don't know, Nathan. Like I'm, I I don't. Jeff I, Brom I, would be running down the street if if a quarterback did that for him, wouldn't he? Well, I hear what you're saying, but it also means that in his other six games, Noah Vedral is like a 50 percent passer with more touchdown, more interceptions and touchdowns, and a quarterback rating was probably around 100, which is nothing in college football, even in the Big Ten. So I, I, let's look at the whole package. Let's not just look at one game. This is what people tuned in for. The debate over whether Rutgers <laughs> or Purdue's quarterback situation is worse. I told that's, you that's what this is going to come down to. At, at least like another stinks less. You're wrong. 40 minutes. 13, 13 the two of us had them 13 and 14 just in de- separate orders and Nathan put one ten. So we are creeping, we are creeping towards like so this is still not super confident. I think if Noah Vedral can do that against Michigan and like Don Brown got fired because Noah Vedral did that, like I- I'm just saying, like it, he's got a little bit of a pulse. That's a big game for them. Michigan had problems last year, and like he had a pulse in that game. So, you know. Look out, Ohio. <laughs> Look out, Ohio State for Noah Vedral. All right. 12th on my list, I had Michigan State. And this is this Anthony Russo transfer from Temple. But you read this stuff, and Peyton Thorne, who's a 2019 three star, you read stuff, and it's like he feels like the leader. But to me, if like the best quarterback in the history of Temple football is transferring to Michigan State, I can't believe he's doing that to like not beat out some three star guy. So I'm kind of assuming the Temple guy may be incorrectly. Neither is great. But again, at least Anthony Russo has played like a boatload. He has played a lot of college football, and that matters to me at least a little bit, Nathan. Where did you have Michigan State? I had him 12th, uh, and uh, those things do matter. Russo's uh, efficiency numbers were solid last year. He was also 16-10 and 10 as a starter at Temple. He was third in those career categories, completions, yards, TDs, which can, you know, some those are all counting stats more than they are efficiency stats and, and you know, um, how well are you producing stats. But uh, the other thing, I, I mean, yes, he did those things. He did those things at Temple in a conference that's – not as good as the Big Ten, so um, I'm, I'm taking that into consideration. Peyton Thorne, also when you're when you're picking out one game, he had a game last year, 325 yards and three touchdowns and interception against Penn State. 
um, in the last game. So again, things were so screwy last year. Who knows who he was actually playing against for Penn State at that point? But he's been he's started and done well against other good teams in the Big Ten. So again, it's just it's they are like my top tier three team. They were they, I only had three teams in the lower the lowest tier, and it was like well, like. I, th- these guys don't excite me, but, and it's also like, I feel like they're one, you're one problem away from just potential disaster, but at least they've got two guys that they can count on. Steven, where'd you have Michigan state? I also had them 12 just because I think Anthony Russo is going to be their starting quarterback. And I threw out the 2020 season just because it was only three games. Um, I did look at the 2018 and 2019 seasons, and I think that's something that he can replicate, especially that 2019 season where he had 21 touchdowns and 12 interceptions on 58% passing. I think if we look at the end of the season, if that's exactly what his stat line is, I wouldn't be shocked. And Russo last year, I mean, 68% completions and a rating around 135. That was solid. If he was doing that in the Big Ten, it would look better than doing it where he was. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard, guys, with guys making a step up. But this is the kind of stuff that we're going to end up analyzing all the time now in the offseason of college football. With all the transfers, it's like, okay, it's a guy making a step up in level of play. He did it at Temple. Can he do it in the Big Ten? But he's he's a three-year starter. You know, but and sometimes what's going to happen is sometimes we're going to say, hey, this guy's a three-year starter. Hey, he might be pretty good. And it's going to be like, oh, no, he could not handle the step up at all. No, he's not a Big Ten player. And then sometimes it's going to be like, Holy moly, like that guy actually was at a lower level was really good. And he was just as good in the Big Ten because he's experienced and he learned how to play and he can make reads. And so we don't know which way the Anthony Russo is going to go, but we're going to have times with all these transfers where guys are absolute swings and misses and guys are absolute home runs. And we're not going to be able to tell as we sit here in the spring and try to figure it out. All right. So we all had Michigan State 12th. Congratulations to Michigan State for finishing 12th. 11th, I have Iowa. Maybe because I have something with me against Iowa. The guy there still is mad that I thought Nate Stanley wasn't very good. But the deal at Iowa is they get their starter back from last year, Spencer Petrus. And I read um, a, a good little dueling columns from the student paper at Iowa, the Daily Iowan, about like, should the returning starter, Spencer Petrus, be the starting quarterback in 2021? And they have these two other guys, Alex Padilla, who's more of a runner, and Deuce Hogan, who's more of a pro-style guy, who are like younger guys behind Spencer Petrus. And I just want to shout out Austin Hansen, the sports editor of the Daily Iowan. He was the con saying, no, Spencer Petrus won't be the quarterback in 2021. And he ended his column by saying, as the saying goes, don't risk it, no biscuit. So like, I'm on that. I'm on that train. Don't risk it. No biscuit. It feels like a very Iowa thing to me to be like, ah, we have this older guy. He's fine. And just keep playing him. But I don't know what's going to happen there. I don't, they were pretty good last year, Nathan, with Spencer Petrus, but it doesn't get my juices flowing. So I have Iowa 11th. Where'd you have Iowa? I had him ninth. I, I still just feel like there's maybe more upside there with Petrus than there is in some of these other rooms. You start comparing him to even some of the veteran quarterbacks in the conference. I feel like we've seen the best that those quarterbacks can be. Um, but you look at what Petrus could be, uh, given the opportunity, given a non-pandemic year to maybe spread his wings. His numbers weren't great last year, 57%. Um, and um, a rating around 119. Those are very pedestrian, even by Big Ten quarterback standards. But I, I guess I still just see a, a higher ceiling that he could 
reach for as opposed to some of these other situations. Steven, where'd you have Iowa? Yeah, I also had him 11. And the reason why is uh, Spencer Petras, I, I don't agree with that. I think we've saw what he was last year is just, I think that's what he is. So the ceiling's not very high if you decide to stay that route. But if you do decide to go with a guy like Alex Padilla, he's thrown two passes. So it's the same situation that Ohio State, oh, it's literally two more passes than what Ohio State's in, except he's not nearly as talented as Ohio State's three quarterback situations are right now. So 11th for me, because it's either going with a guy where you know his ceiling is low or a very, very experienced, inexperienced guy where he's probably not as talented as you would want a guy that inexperienced to be. Spencer Petrus, the number 445 overall recruit in the class of 2018. Again, Iowa was 6-2 and two with him in eight starts last year. But I'm slightly paraphrasing uh, Scott Docterman, one of the best, best Big Ten writers out there, covers Iowa for The Athletic. I read his analysis of sort of what happened in the spring. And, and to paraphrase, what he said happened is that basically that Petrus sort of, in this competition, like tightened his grip on the starting job by what happened this spring. And his analysis was Petrus was inconsistent, inconsistent and inaccurate last year, but they went six and two. So it's like, what it's like, well, well, he's inconsistent and inaccurate, but we won six games out of eight, which again, Nathan just is like such, such a Kirk Ferentz thing to me that, I mean, it's just you're they're setting a ceiling there. We're talking a lot about ceilings, Nathan, ceilings, floors, the consistency in between. They're they're not reaching for there's some debate, right? Steven says there is no more ceiling. You think there might be a little bit more there, but clearly if Iowa goes with a guy like this, they're limiting what they're gonna they're not gonna win the Big Ten with a guy like this, right? Which, you know, maybe they should be trying to do that. Yeah, but I don't think there's anybody on their roster that they're going to win the Big Ten with easily either. I mean, Padilla, you mentioned what uh, Petrus was in the 400s. Padilla was like 1150 as far as his recruiting yeah. ranking. I mean, th th that's not that special to me. Um, and I still see Petrus. I think he's going to be a junior this year, so he's not that young. Um, but I guess I don't also see it in the same way. Like we're going to talk later about Sean Clifford at Penn State. I feel like we've seen Sean Clifford. I feel like we've seen Adrian Martinez. I feel like we've seen some of these guys who have played a lot in the Big Ten on, in normal years, and we know what their ceiling is. I still – I give some um, leeway here that Petrus could come in and build off of his first year of really getting real experience and do something better. So, Iowa. Stephen and I had Iowa 11th. Nathan has Iowa 9th. 10th. I have Illinois 10th, and this is sixth-year senior Brandon Peters who talking about guys who are established, he's pretty established, although he's only made 16 starts. He started for like two years, um, was the number 61 overall player in the class of 2016. Nathan, I'm giving a little leeway here to new coach. We've got Brett Bielema instead of Lovey Smith. Maybe they get a little more out of him. He's so, ex I mean, he's so old. It's a sixth year guy playing in the Big Ten. I, I'm, while he kind of probably is what he is, between the new coach and the idea of like, you should be like three years into your job as a normal person. He just might be so old and has seen it all and composed and they get a little more out of him. I, I thought maybe 10th was maybe a little generous, but that's why I did it. Where'd you have Illinois? I have him 13th. Uh, Brandon Peters is 23 years old. And while he has apparently infinite, eligibility he I think has very finite talent um last year he was really bad now he did I think test positive for COVID I think he he missed games with COVID so that was in addition to just being the whole season being messed up he had he, he at least 
he either tested positive or had it himself. But I mean, he completed less than 50% of his passes, um, was, was just the, kind of the worst version of himself, which maybe I guess that that's you know, holding that against him too much. Go back to the year before, and I think he had like 18 touchdowns to eight interceptions, was more of like a good Big Ten quarterback. It's just not a situation, again, where I see much upside, whether it's him, whether it's Art Sikowski who transferred from Rutgers to Illinois and is the other guy who was kind of in the picture there. Um, just not a lot to be excited about. I mean, he the other potential starter, Isaiah Williams, not to be confused with the Isaiah Williams, who you're going to mention later on the podcast, um, who was called Juice Williams. But this was another quarterback they named Isaiah Williams. He moved to wide receiver. Um, just a, a very uninspiring quarterback situation at Illinois and something that I think Brett Bielema needs to address. But I also don't know, you know, again, outside of Russell Wilson, I don't know that Wisconsin since the Bielema tenure has really ever produced quarterbacks anybody ever gets excited about. And that wasn't one that they produced themselves. Jack Cohn's going to be the starter at Notre Dame this year. Mm-hmm. Noodle arm Jack Cohn. Good luck to the Fighting Irish in their bid to return to the <laughs> return to the playoff. Uh, I can't believe that when you said infinite eligibility, finite talent, I didn't get a Buckeye talk in there because that is, that is <laughs> somebody else has to jump in and do it. That's the I know. Yeah, I, I was slow on the trigger. That, that was that was my fault. Uh, Steven, where'd you have Illinois? Yeah, I put them at nine, which I think might be a little bit high, but I am going to bank on, you know, new coach Brett Bielema and also him maybe being more closer to what he was in 2019 out of 2020, maybe a little a step higher just because it is a new coach who we've seen, you know, develop quarterbacks in the past. So maybe I'm a little too optimistic about Illinois, but just given what some of the other guys here, I'll have, I'll have maybe a spot lower and higher. I think that's a, a good spot for them for right now, but I, I'll, I'll hear the argument that maybe nine is high. I would say the quarterback, the, the, or the coaching change, we can't always assume that that's a positive. We're going to talk to Randy Johnson from Minneapolis Star Tribune later about Minnesota, and he brought up that with Tanner Morgan that he thought that that was a part of the problem last year. Now, the pandemic affected that, too. They didn't get to, like, install things in the right way. But, like, it, or, or you could even say it at Penn State, too. Like, the, the coaching changes, even assistant coaching changes, sometimes can be a negative in the development of a player. Yeah, the Minnesota case, though, their guy left – for Penn state when they didn't want him to leave the whole Illinois staff got fired because they stunk. Mm-hmm. So like, that's fair. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. So Illinois, I have them 10th. Steven has them ninth. Nathan has them 13th. Ninth on my list is Nebraska. This is Adrian Martinez. And I think perhaps, perhaps the second most infamous thing ever said on this podcast, the first being <laughs> nine and three by me for Ohio state was the summer before Justin Fields played for Ohio State when we had a Nebraska writer on who like made a very strong case that Adrian Martinez was better than Justin Fields. Justin yeah. Fields was just the 11th pick in the draft. Adrian Martinez is back at Nebraska. Luke McCaffrey was in that quarterback mix with Adrian Martinez last year. I don't even know where he went, but he transferred. He's gone. So it's Adrian Martinez almost like, like it's, it's his last hurrah. It's like a little bit by default. He's kind of weathered the storm. He's the last man standing. He's made 27 career starts at Nebraska. He's a three-year starter. He's back, but I think he probably has gotten worse every year. I mean, it's a little like he, I think his best year was his first year in 2018, and then he's regressed since then. That also certainly is on Scott Frost and the Nebraska coaching staff. Nathan, where did you have Adrian Martinez in Nebraska? Uh, Luke McCaffrey went to Louisville, by the way. Uh, I have them 11th, and it's, again, they were exactly one of the people I was thinking of. When I look at Iowa, I look at Spencer Petras, I think, oh, 
I think there's still a step up he could take. I'm not saying he's going to step up to being like maybe even all Big Ten level, but like I think there's improvement he can make. But with Adrian Martinez, I feel like he's bumped his head on the ceiling. Um, in uh, 28 career starts, he has 20 interceptions and 15 lost fumbles out of his 27 fumbles. This is a stat that I, I can't remember who I saw that stat from, but uh, or I would cite them. But I mean, that's he's he is a very low ceiling passer who has some running skills, but is also kind of a turnover machine. I mean, that's, and that's 35 turnovers in 28 career starts. Um, not a, not, and that includes all of your non big 10 games too, that he started over his career or against so-called bad big 10 teams. So, I mean, just a, a, a guy who is, I'm not saying he's holding this program back alone. I think there's other problems with Nebraska, which is why they are so low in, in just in the college football tier right now but uh, just a guy who's not going to go out and really elevate them. That 15 lost fumbles stat, that's an amazing stat. That's actually kind of ridiculous that he has that many. I, 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 I had them 10th. Yeah, he's regressed every single year, but, uh, but his numbers suggest he wasn't that terrible last year. He wasn't good, but he was okay. I mean, 71% of his passes he completed last year, not only four touchdowns and three interceptions. So I think that the completion percentage leads me to believe, obviously I only saw them once, that that maybe they changed some things up for him a little bit and how they were using him in, in the passing game that maybe they were in 2019 a little bit to kind of cater to that, whatever his skill set is. I, I'll leave some of that to pandemic as well, though. I think him just even if him hitting his ceiling, I think it's still better than some of the people I have lower than him, even if it isn't nearly as good as it should have been, given what he did as a freshman. When we were talking about Justin Fields as an NFL draft prospect, we brought up the idea of adjusted completion percentage and factoring in things like depth of target and stuff and why that um, pretended potentially good things for Justin Fields as an NFL quarterback. I would imagine I don't know where to find that stat for college players, but I would imagine Adrian Martinez is average depth of target and things like that were not very deep. Like I, I think, yeah. the, and, and so now it doesn't matter if you win the game. I'm just saying, as far as like when you're judging quarterback performance, that 71% is, is good, but not as impressive as a, a quarterback in a more pro offense doing that. I would, I would guess that a lot of they, Nebraska had a lot of yards after catch last season. Well, and that's hard. I mean, like he has like, right. One Robinson transferred. Um, yeah. They've, they've had, you know, some weapons at times over the years there. I don't, I think their weapons right now aren't as great. Here's the thing, like sort of to Steven's point, he has done some things in his career that a lot of other guys that we've talked about so far haven't come close to doing. Now they were mostly his, his freshman year, but um, October 6th of his freshman year, a 41, 24 loss to Wisconsin. He threw for 384 yards and ran for 57, three touchdowns, no interceptions against Purdue that year, 323 yards ran for 91 against Minnesota that year in a 53, 28 win. He was 25 of 29 for 276 yards passing and three touchdowns. And he ran for 125 and a touchdown against Ohio state, his freshman year. And this is part of, I think why, Ohio State fans, he got on their radar. That 36-31 loss, he was 22 of 33 for 266 yards, one touchdown, ran 20 times for 72 yards and two touchdowns. Came out against Illinois the next week, 290 yards passing, three touchdowns, ran for 55 yards and another touchdown. Like, he was quite a good player Mm -hmm. in 2018, and he has gone backwards. So that's the thing, Nathan, right? 
I think mm-hmm. like I'm putting a little bit of like, listen, Nebraska's had its head up its butt. Like they got Luke McCaffrey in the mix. I'm sure that messed with Adrian Martinez's head a little bit. We've seen guys who didn't have as good of a next year and you regress and what happens if they can recapture any of that, Nathan, like that is like a, at least a middle of the pack, big 10 quarterback. It's just, do you believe that it can be recaptured? And like, why would you believe it? Like I believe it, but like, I'm not sure why I would believe it, but I at least think it's possible. Well, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily whether you believe it. It's whether you think it's possible. Yeah, it's like, do you, are you judging the ceiling he has now based on what you saw three years ago or what we've seen the last two years and what we've seen some, in some cases with our own eyes, like unfolding right in front of us the last two years? Because, yes, he had that great year. He had the great game against a bad Nebraska or bad Ohio State defense. And then the next year playing at home against a much better Ohio State defense, he was a disaster. So it's like somewhere in the middle of that, to me, is the real Adrian Martinez. And that's why I have them 11th. And it's also you brought up the turnover stats, uh, Nathan, at least his freshman year. He was offsetting that with some big, some nice plays, some scoring plays and whatnot. He wasn't doing that anymore. So it's like, can you get back to that where you're turnover prone? That's what you are at this point. We've seen it for three years. You're turnover prone. But can you at least offset it with some with points? And he was at least doing that. He did it in, in to, even in 2019. He was doing it to an extent. He didn't do it at all last year, really. So can you get back, back to being that guy where it's at least boom or bust and not just all bust? All right. So Nebraska, I had Nebraska ninth. Steven had Nebraska 10th. Nathan had Nebraska 11th. All right. Eighth on my list. I think this might be the line. To me, this is the line of the bottom six teams. You're really like, "Ah, I don't really know what they're getting. Everybody else from here on out, I feel decent about they're going to get something from their quarterback that's going to help make them win at least some of the time. So eighth, go ahead, Nathan. So we all have the same top eight too. I think that says something. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. We do all have the same top eight. I think this is a pretty killer line here. I could make an argument of whether if I believe in 2018, Adrian Martinez is, is does he scooch up toward this top group? But based on the last two years, no, he's not in this top group. He might so be five right. coming off the 2018 season. He might've been five. Coming off the 2018 season, he was better than Justin Fields. Like, I mean, yeah, he <laughs> yeah, might be two. He might have been what? Yeah, he might have been two or one. We'd be like, oh man, if only Ohio State could have gotten Adrian Martinez as a grad tra- as a transfer this year, they'd be set. By the way, was the third most infamous thing said on this ep- uh, podcast uh, when Steven said he could eat the whole pizza? Is that third? I mean, are it we just be. now are we just now making up podcast topics? The ten most infamous <laughs> things ever said on Buckeye Talk. I feel like we're we're closing, and when we get to our thousandth episode, that's it's what like, we'll do. And how many of the, if we did a top ten of the most infamous things said on this podcast, how many of them would be nonsense, and how many of them would be sports related? That's the real question. Yeah, I mean that's like I, you know, we can dig through. I can dig through six hundred and fifty podcasts this summer and look for infamous things that people said. All right, I have Penn State eighth. Nathan, where do you have Penn State? Seventh. Stephen, where do you have Penn State? I have them eighth as well, and they were higher than that before we talked to Bob Flounders. So we talked to Bob Flounders from PennLive.com about Sean Clifford, about the state of the Penn State quarterback room, and we will get that to you right after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, joined by a great friend of Buckeye Talk, Bob Flounders, and, and great friend of Doug Lamarice. You yeah. guys know that. Yeah. Let's not stop there. 
That's not, I mean, you could be a friend to both a podcast and a person. And Bob Flanders is that. So Bob is here uh, to talk about the Penn State quarterback situation for 2021. And Bob, is Sean Clifford the starting quarterback for Penn State in 2021? Like for sure. He's old. He's experienced. Is he definitely (laughs) definitely the guy? Uh, He has to be the guy. Uh, There's no choice. And Sean, Sean at times has been a very productive quarterback at Penn State, but this will be his third, third offensive coordinator in three years. And last year was not good. You guys got to see him early in the season, week two against Ohio State. He put up a lot of garbage numbers in the second half of that game, but in the first half, when it really mattered, um, it was no contest. I mean, um, Justin Fields was just uh, so superior to him in every way and was the difference in that game. And Sean's now in his fifth year at Penn State. He still counts as a redshirt junior because of uh, the COVID year, but he is going to be the quarterback if he's healthy. He has to be the quarterback if he's healthy because Penn State has no one behind him with any experience at all. The guy that shared time with him, uh, Will Levis, moved on to Kentucky, saw the writing on the wall. James Franklin kind of made his decision with Sean right or wrong. And it, it's going to be up to a guy you guys know, Mike Yursich, to try and get him cleaned up and playing at his highest you know, possible level. My question is, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if we haven't already seen Sean Clifford's ceiling. I don't know how much better he can get. And that's just not a great sign when you're playing – in the Big Ten, and you're trying to win a game at Ohio State, for example. It's kind of to that point, then, uh, with you're basically saying that Sean Clifford's your starting quarterback because you have no other. Yeah. It's either him or it's nobody. I mean, there is an op- there is an option that's an Ohio State's roster that's, I mean, from Penn State's backyard. Could he potentially have been the starting quarterback this year as a true freshman, given what that room is right now? Say his name. Say his Kyle name. McCord. <laughs> Kyle McCord. Yeah. Kyle McCord. Yeah, sorry. Could Kyle McCord been the starter this yeah. year? Um, I mean, absolutely, especially given the fact that he was going to – he enrolled in January, did he not, at Ohio State? Yeah. He was able – you know, that's been – to me, to me, the story of the Penn State-Ohio State series since James Franklin has been uh, the coach, he's now in his eighth year, has really been the quarterback position. And it's also been the story of he promised he'd be able to dominate the state, keep the best talent from leaving the state. Um, he's done it a couple years. He hasn't done it enough. And to make matters worse, that talent has not only not gone to Penn State, it's going to a Big Ten rival. Very often, it's been Ohio State. And, you know, the other thing I would add is, and we've talked about it ad nauseum uh, with the Penn State fan base, is he just cannot. If you can't get a five-star quarterback recruit to come to your school, you're not going to beat Ohio State. It's just not going to happen. And when Ohio State pulls a five-star quarterback out of Pennsylvania. That's just, you know, it's, it doesn't, it's, it's just a big slap in the face. I don't know how else you can describe it. He, he does, he has not had a true difference maker at Penn state at the quarterback position since he's been there. He's had some good players, but not guys that can win the game in the fourth quarter. And it's, it's, it's kind of shown up in the one loss record. I think he's one in six, against Ohio State and the year that he did beat Ohio State it took a tremendous rally and it was really his defense that won the game in the fourth quarter his defense and his special teams it wasn't the quarterback every other game you look at 
the Ohio State quarterback really has taken over the game or been the best player on the field in those six other games. Bob, you mentioned um, Clifford maybe having already shown his ceiling. And as I was going through ranking all the Big Ten quarterbacks, that was a question I often faced was like, well, this guy was pretty solid, but that may be as good as he could possibly be is kind of solid. And, you know, maybe there's younger quarterbacks at other programs. What does Clifford need to show in 2021 to kind of push through that ceiling? What else does Penn State need from him that it hasn't seen so far? Yeah, he's got he's got arm talent. He is a dual threat. He's not afraid to sacrifice his his body. Um, My worry with Sean Clifford is that in the last two years, uh, in 2019 and 2020, uh, Ricky Ronnie was the offensive coordinator in 2019. Uh, Kirk Shiraka, one and done at Penn State in 2020. He's carried the ball 215 times. Um, And, you know, last year was only a nine game season. My worry is with Sean, as it was with Trace, that as a Penn State quarterback kind of gets older at Penn State, he gets beat up. They run, they run their quarterbacks too much, I would say. I don't know if you guys remember two years ago that game at Penn State where Penn State was up, I think, double digits in the fourth quarter. Penn State got, got him at the finish – or Ohio State beat him at the finish. Haskins came alive in the fourth quarter. They ran Trace McSorley 25 times in that game for 175 yards. I never really thought he was the same player the rest of that year. I thought he was beat up. I think these quarterbacks under James Franklin, as they progress, the longer they play, uh, physically they take a beating. And I think that shows up when they try and throw the ball. I thought Sean uh, last year, um, his eyes came down. You know, the minute he saw pressure, especially in that Ohio State game, I thought Ohio State roughed him up pretty good in that game. Uh, he also, the, you know, he, he'll either A, hold on to the ball, B, pull his eyes down, or he'll just make terrible decisions. And all of that are the, th- those are the things that Sean, that uh, Mike Yersich has to clean up. He's only a 60% career passer, you know, and I think in the offense that they're trying to run, I think you got to be at least at 65%. He had nine interceptions last year. And he, he, he didn't even start in one of those games. He just made too many bad decisions. And he certainly got some talent. You know, last year he had the best tight end in the Big Ten. He had, you know, the, the guy that eventually led the Big Ten in receiving yards and Jahan Dotson. He's back. You can argue, yeah, they were behind a lot and they had to throw a lot. But he definitely has some talented, skilled players. The offensive line isn't bad. There's no reason – there's no reason – I believe that he can't be a 65% passer and he shouldn't be throwing eight or nine interceptions a season. Those are the things I think that Mike Yersich has to clean up. I think he can play better, but I just don't know, you know, I, you know, as far as a, a dynamic, a dynamic player, excuse me, that could change a game on one play. I don't know that he's that guy. Bob, you've mentioned it a couple of times and, and listen, Penn state's a really good football program. Ohio state's a really good football program, but, even within that, sometimes you can have coaching situations that I think screw up players. And we've talked about it a lot on this podcast with linebackers at Ohio State, in particular yeah. Baron Browning. And like you get a coach, an assistant at a position who's not great. You have, you know, guys moving in and out. You've mentioned it a couple of times and everybody listening, you know, Mike Yursich was here, was the original quarterback hire for Ryan Day when he took over. He went to Texas for a year. Now he's at Penn State. Yeah. Did has Penn state screwed up Sean Clifford, like with, with these different coordinators and quarterback coaches, 
can you have you felt that like, man, this kid should be better, but the program has done this to him a little bit. And then I think in that situation, it can be like, okay, now he finally gets a, the right coach again. And we right. do see what he really can be. And if you're such that, is that guy, maybe you do see a jump. Yeah. I don't think they did Sean Clifford any favors. Ricky Ronnie, James Franklin tapped Ricky Ronnie to replace Joe Moorhead. Ricky Ronnie, you know, you don't, I don't think you really want to cut your teeth as an offensive coordinator at Penn State right out of the shoot. He had no real previous play calling experience before James put him in that position in 2018. Listening to James Franklin talk about last year uh, and Kirk Shiraka, he doesn't say anything directly, but I, I, the, the vibe I picked up is I don't think I don't think James got the, the, the play caller he thought he was going to get when he got Kirk from Minnesota. He wanted, he, you know, James talked about it the minute he let Kirk go. He wants he wants explosive plays. He wants a, a, a coach that knows what he's doing in the red zone. He wants an offensive coordinator that could play with tempo. And maybe it was the pandemic. Maybe it was, but it just seemed like. Penn State did none of that. They were very predictable on offense. The running game was all inside zone. Um, you know, you know, in the red zone, they they were awful. They they barely. I think there were 18 touchdowns and 39 possessions in the red zone. That's just not going to cut it. Too many field goal attempts. Too predictable. Um, and he wants somebody. He wants somebody who can design an offense that will not only put points on the board, but I think big picture. He wants a guy that can sell offense and Penn State's offense to five-star recruits. He wants a guy that is going to get, you know, five-star quarterbacks interested in coming to Penn State. It wasn't going to happen with Ricky Ronnie. It wasn't going to happen with Kirk Shiraka. They were good at their job, but it's, you know, you, you got to get those players to want to come play for your program. And I think he's actually trying to get somebody now in Mike Yersich that maybe can sell offensive football at Penn state a little better. I thought Sean Clifford's best football was maybe the first two months uh, of 2019. And as I said before, they keep, they just kept running them and running them and running them and running them. And I think physically he took a beating. Um, you saw, he left that Ohio state game in 2019. They tried to kind of duct tape him together. He got beat up, I think in the Indiana game before that, I think he hurt himself in the second or third quarter, couldn't go, sat out another game, wasn't himself in the Cotton Bowl. And for whatever reason, instead of running him less in 2020, they ran him more in 2020. So I, I, I don't know. I just, I just think that physically I think he needs a little bit of rehab. And if they're going to run him, they're going to run him this year like they ran him the last two years. It's not going to be a very successful Penn State season. And if something happens to him, Guys, they, they, they literally have no one behind Sean that has any significant uh, experience at all. They have a true freshman who enrolled in January, Christian Veyu, who was not a Ballyhood recruit. They have a third-year player named Taquan Roberson, who has yet – I don't think he's taken uh, a, a meaningful snap in college football yet in his third year. So it's a very, very dicey proposition in 2021 if you're looking at Penn State as being a real contender – in the big 10, they have a tough schedule, but also Sean Clifford has to play a lot better. And if he gets hurt, that's it. 
just one more, just one quick recruiting thing. I mean, you brought up the, how much they've run the quarterbacks in the past, and you bring a guy like Mike Yursich into the kind of quarterback yeah. developer he's been. Have you maybe, through a guy like Drew LR, the borderline top 100 guy in the 2022 class, through a guy like that, have you guys already maybe seen some of those, you know, bringing in higher talented quarterbacks and the, the way that they develop and maybe the way the offense might shape yeah. looking forward? Does it feel like things are already changing, even if you mo- might not see it as much this year? I think Drew Alar is a, is a real good starting point for Penn State's future at the quarterback position. I think Mike Yersich definitely had some ties there. And I'm just wondering if, you know, if Penn State's offense looks different this year, if Sean could stay healthy and they just look like a more explosive offense and maybe a more just a more fun offense to play in. They weren't fun to watch last year. They just were not a very uh, from a visual perspective. They didn't scare anyone, and it was just when they did when they did make plays. It was either late in games when they were down, or when they went on that four game winning streak. They didn't really beat anyone. I, I think I think Mike Yersich can really help Penn State in two ways. He can get Sean Clifford uh, to be a better player. I'm just not sure how much better. But I also think his his offense, if they can keep him there for a couple of years, I think it would really it could really be. Uh, a recruiting coup because he's they have to get five stars to come to Penn State or they're always going to be a team I think that's in the eight nine ten win conversation never really in the national playoff Big Ten title game conversation because you got to be able to go toe-to-toe with the Buckeyes and and they do they get five stars just about better than anyone in the country when it comes to quarterbacks let me ask you this one, Bob, to finish this off. I often thought that the worst thing that could happen to a team or program, whether it's college or the NFL, is to get like a quarterback who's just good enough that you're almost better off getting a guy who stinks. Because then it's like, well, it's not, it's not him. And then you replace him. If you get a guy who's like, well, is he the guy? I don't know if he's the guy, but it's like, well, should we replace him? I don't know if we should replace him. It can really plateau your team. Yeah. And I think I've seen it happen other times i thought it happened this is getting really old juice williams came in for illinois and yeah. beat ohio state in 2007 right. it was the best game of his life and then he was like a very average quarterback for the rest of his career at illinois and they didn't do anything right is, has penn state been and listen penn state's been good they had a bad year last year but they they're a good team before that did they right. get caught caught a little bit here with clifford that he was never enough of a problem to replace him yeah but he's never going to get you over the top. And the result is like three or four years of just like kind of eh, quarterback play. Uh, Doug, well, I think what you're really saying is, is, is Penn state in quarterback recruiting limbo. And I think that they are right now. They're, they're in between. They can get, they can get a four star to come to Penn state. They really haven't come close to a five star. And when you have a four star that becomes a veteran, it's real tough to pull the plug on him because of the unknown behind him. Do you want to, do you want to take a shot on an unproven player that might have a, a bigger upside? James Franklin is really, really loyal to his quarterback. She even saw that with Christian Hackenberg, who just, you know, he wasn't a dual threat, but he was another one that just got beat up behind an offensive line. But I think you make a pretty good point. They, they're they're kind of in no man's land with their quarterbacks they got a quarterback that can win a lot of games, but I don't know that they've had a quarterback that can win a lot of big games. And I think I think that's the distinction. Big stage going against an athletic defense in the fourth quarter with the game on the line. Have they really had the quarterback they needed to kind of pull one out? And I don't know that they have. 
He's Bob Flounders. You can read him at penlive.com. Bob, you guys are you still doing the Keystone uh, Keystone uh, Radio broadcast podcast we're doing show our, there? We're doing, our, we're doing our own podcast in-house called the Blue White Breakdown. That's kind of been the kind of the emphasis now with Greg Pickle and myself. Even Dave Jones pops on like once every six weeks just to talk about everything but Penn State football and just throw a monkey <laughs> right, right into our plans. But that's what Dave does. You know, you know Dave, Doug. Yes. He's uh He's he's a he's a lot of fun, but man, he just trying to get him to talk about Penn State football could be a little challenging. We're having a lot of fun with it. I always enjoy coming on with you guys. Hopefully, I'll get to see you guys out in Columbus this year. I I, I hope I hope that's the way we're headed, and I hope you guys are all staying healthy. All right, everybody, listen to Bob on the Blue White Breakdown. As always, great to see you, Flanders, and we will see you in Columbus back in right, normal. Take care, time. guys. Appreciate thanks, it, man. Bob. All right, thanks to Bob Flanders for that, Nathan. Stephen made a good point. Like we, we, we talked to Bob and I, then we allowed ourselves to adjust our rankings afterward. I'm a little surprised to be sitting here and having Penn state seventh and eighth on our list of best big 10 quarterback situations, given that they have an experienced guy back, but it feels completely justified. Nathan. Yeah. Again, I think it's just an example of we've seen what he's about. As I tried to ask Bob, like, is there a, path to him being better than what we've seen so far and I guess he kind of laid out some examples of where that could happen but you just feel like it, I guess the one reason for optimism if you're a Penn State fan is does the Mike Yersich thing change things I mean you know he's had success with other quarterbacks other stops could he come in and give him some sort of new perspective that brings some new level of quarterback play at Penn State but as it stands right now he just seems like a not somebody that's that's losing them games but a, a somebody that kind of helps them stay where they are right now. It's it's almost JT Barrett-ish for what Ohio State was when they brought in Ryan Day. It's like JT Barrett was what he was by the time Ryan Day had got here in 2017. It was he pretty much reached his ceiling. You didn't think he was going to be much better than that. And then you bring in a guy who's a quarterback trainer by trade and an off kind of an offensive mind and see if he can maybe push that ceiling up maybe a couple more floors. That's what Ohio State was able they did that with JT Barrett and Ryan Day. And you see Penn State trying to do the same thing here with Mike Yersis and Sean Clifford. We'll see if it works. I know what you're saying. Also, I just feel like I just have to state for the record, like it is an insult to JT Barrett to have Sean Clifford included. It, in no, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Both, yeah. In both situations, Ohio State has clearly the better guy at both the coach spot and at the player spot. I mean, I think like they're like if, if Sean, Sean Clifford is JT Barrett is like James Franklin wakes up at night in a sweat and says like that, that's his dream. Like that would yeah. be if that could come anywhere close to happening. But Nathan, as we sort of decided that, we're like drawing the line here. I think the bottom six quarterback situations in this league were we thought quarterback situations that actually could lose games for you, right? Now we're to the guys who, who can win games for you. It's just that I don't know that Sean Clifford's going to lose games for you, but what is his threshold of really winning a game for you as Bob laid out? And that's why he's this low for us. Yeah. I mean, it- you know, Ohio State wins at Penn State last year in a game where, you know, as Bob pointed out, they, Ohio State really came after Clifford, I thought. But that was still a game that I think was there for Penn State to challenge Ohio State more than they did. And uh, the, the, the lack of a dynamic quarterback option was definitely a, a factor in why they couldn't do that. I mean, we're also getting to a stage of this where you would think that the 
the talent on the overall roster for all of the teams we're about to talk about, maybe with one exception, but the talent of the, the overall rosters is enough such that if they had a better quarterback situation, they might be more of a threat to Ohio State than they are. That's why somebody like Penn State is maybe still just middle of the pack on this list. Yeah. Okay. So Penn State, seventh for Nathan, eighth for me and Steven. It's a little unfortunate how the interviews went here. Seventh for me is Minnesota. And we talked to Randy Johnson from the Minneapolis Star Tribune about Tanner Morgan. Steven, where did you have Minnesota? Seventh. I feel like Doug was over my shoulder watching me make my list the entire time. Yeah, they were seventh for me. Yeah, we are very similar in a lot of these. Nathan, where did you have Minnesota? Fifth. And considered putting them even higher. Um, Some of it just giving, you know, I know we've talked before about the difference between what somebody did in 2019 versus 2020. Uh, Tanner Morgan had a lot of things going right for him in, in 2019 as far as the rest of the personnel, but it was also a full season of really strong production. And that said something to me that, that, that maybe there is, he's only one year removed from maybe being able to reach back to a high level of play. I also think uh, after t- talking to Randy, it seemed like it was, it was clearly more of, they just had a really talented group of wide receivers and he'd been obviously yeah, quarterbacks look better when they have better weapons around them, obviously, but it was clearly more of the weapons. And when he no longer had those weapons, he struggled like we saw in 2020. All right, let's get to Randy, Randy Johnson from the Minneapolis star tribune, a good 12 or 14 minute breakdown here. And the, again, the reason this really matters. And it's like, why are we talking about, the Minnesota quarterback that much. We talked to the two main rivals in the, in the East for Ohio state. we talked to Minnesota because Ohio state opens the season against Minnesota on a Thursday night. Let's talk about Tanner Morgan. We are joined by Randy Johnson from the Minneapolis star tribune here to talk about Minnesota and more specifically about Tanner Morgan, Randy, you know, a year ago at this time, I think we were all talking about Minnesota as a potential West division contender. And we were, a lot of that was based on, Tanner Morgan. He had this great 2019 season, obviously taking advantage of two really strong receivers. What happened? Like, why did 2020? I, I know the pandemic was probably a factor as it was for everybody, but what else happened that led to his at least statistical regression and and why Minnesota just didn't maybe have the season people expected? Yeah, it was a combination of a lot of things. That you, you look at his uh, 2019 season: 30 touchdown passes, seven interceptions, and the, he fell off to seven TD passes and five picks last year. It um, a lot of factors, one being the switch of offense coordinator. Uh, Kirk Scirocco left for Penn State. Uh, they brought in Mike Sanford Jr. Not, not a whole lot of spring practice because of the pandemic, and then a shortened training camp uh, didn't help. Uh, you lose Ty- Tyler Johnson in the NFL. That didn't help either. Uh, Rashad Bateman was kind of in and out of the lineup, uh, ended up only playing uh, five games uh, last fall. That's part of it. And other reasons, too, I would say – there was a lot more pressure on the offense last year because the defense uh, started off so uh, at such uh, such a tough start to the season. Offense was put in some situations where they had to play catch up. So, Randy, the, the reason I think that I mean we're so interested in Minnesota on an Ohio State podcast is because that Thursday night opener at Minnesota, Ohio State will be starting a quarterback, whoever it is, who has never started a college game before. And Tanner Morgan is 18 and eight in 26 starts. I mean, that's, it's just going to be such an experience gap. Like, is it on the table, even though Tanner Morgan wasn't as good last year as the year before, is it on the table, Randy, if like Tanner Morgan comes out and just slings it and owns that game and throws four touchdown passes and looks like one of the best 
10 or 15 quarterbacks in college football, like given right the highs and lows that you've seen the upside from him, is that something that, that you could envision in your mind and not in a crazy way, or would that be asking a lot? Would be asking a lot, but it, you know, you never know what can happen. It's, you know, they play the, that's why they play the games basically. Um, I think it would have to, a lot would have to do on that. It would be uh, a strong running uh, game with Muhammad Ibrahim there uh, and emerging receivers. You know, uh, they have Chris Ottman bell who's come on pretty well. Uh, Daniel, Daniel Jackson was probably the number two guy after Ottmobile last year once um, Rashad Bateman was gone. And he looked pretty good in the spring game, too. You know, it, it's, uh, it would take a lot, but, you know, see what happens. Uh, you know, it's a, a situation that, yeah, with Ohio State breaking a new quarterback, probably a five-star, I imagine. So, um, but you never know. So, so kind of to that point, I mean, given the way Tanner played in 2019 versus last year, did you guys, while you were watching that in 2020, feel like, okay, this is more about less about Tanner and how good he is as a quarterback and more about the fact that, you know, you had a first round wide receiver and another NFL wide receiver caliber player alongside of that. It was more about the weapons than it was the talent at quarterback that made that offense so special in 2019. I think, you know, having, having, having both uh, Tyler Johnson and, and Rashad Bateman, that they difference makers uh they made tanner a lot better uh although you know tanner's an, has been an efficient quarterback he came on pretty strong in uh 2018 uh helped lead them to to a bowl game it's you know it's not all it's not all on the receivers it's it, it's always uh helpful when you have offensive balance um yeah you, you'd like to have weapons like uh tyler johnson and rashad bateman every year if you could um He's it, it, there's gonna be more pressure on Tanner this year to, to get it done with the weapons he has. So one of the kind of recurring things that we talk about on this podcast is, you know, putting Ohio State in contact with the rest of the Big Ten. And when it comes to quarterback recruiting right now, you've got one program in Ohio State that's got, you know, two five star guys who are competing and, and a third guy who was also pretty highly ranked. And then it's very difficult to find around the rest of the conference, even that sort of four-star top 100 kind of guy. It's usually guys farther down the rankings who end up leading these other programs throughout the Big Ten. So I guess I'm curious, what has uh, P.J. Flex said as far as what kind of caliber of athlete he wants at the quarterback position? Have they made that some sort of a priority? I know they have a, a, a fairly decent one coming in over the summer ride, a four-star guy, Ethan Kalik-Manis from Illinois. So where, where do you kind of see that position progressing under P.J. Fleck? And do you think it has to elevate the recruiting at that position in order for them to really contend in the Big Ten? Yeah, I, I, I think it would. I mean, you know, the positions become so dynamic and you need efficiency. You've, Tanner Morgan has given you that at, at times, and especially in 2019. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say that, that P.J. Is, is looking to get more athleticism from his quarterbacks. Um, and I think you'll see that uh, uh, coming up uh, in the future. Um, yeah, I, I believe they're aiming, you know, to try to get the more of a dynamic playmaker. Easier said than done getting those all the time, but uh, you know, that's what they're looking at. All right, Randy, I'm, I'm going to backpedal a little bit and maybe go back to the uh, question I should have asked first, because we have not seen Tanner Morgan with our own eyeballs. Like Ohio State fans, like this guy's been, you know, it's made 26 Big Ten starts. What does he do? How, what makes him good? Is he, does he have a huge arm? Does he make great decisions? Is he, 
Can he get out of the pocket and scramble a little bit? Like you, you're talking about some efficiency with him, but I want to make sure we don't get out of this podcast. This is the quarterback that Ohio State's going to open the season against. And I don't know much about him other than seeing his stats and a couple highlights. Game to game in 26 starts at Minnesota. How would you describe him? What does he do well? Uh, he, he, he's pretty accurate. I, I would say that he's, uh, if he gets, gets a receiver open, he usually finds him. Um, he's not the most mobile, but he, but he's good enough to escape pressure. A lot of the times he's not going to rush for a ton of yards. There, there's, I'm sure they're hoping that they get more out of, out of the rushing game and in, in, in the RPO with him. Um, you know, he's not one that usually tucks it down and runs, but he has the ability to do so at times. Um, you, you just see, you see a guy who's doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Um, he's, he would, especially, um, uh, he had, he, he was, uh, meshing really well with Kirk Schrock in that 2019 season. He had been under his tutelage for a couple of years. Now it's been a little, it's, uh, you know, building it up with Mike Sanford jr. It's, uh, I would expect it improves this year just with more practice time, like a whole spring practice that we just had. And then with fall camp. It's funny that Mike Sanford Jr. I remember Mike Sanford Jr. was a name that, that we were thrown out at Ohio state uh, when, after Tom Herman left after the 2014 season, because urban Meyer had worked with Mike Sanford senior, his dad. And I, you know, Mike Sanford was this well-respected guy. He was at Notre Dame. He got a head coaching job at Western Kentucky. It sounds like you're saying, you know, it was a little bit of a loss for Minnesota to lose Shiraka, but Mike Sanford Jr. has a, pretty good reputation I think do you think that with another year here with Morgan without the pandemic that there could be like a pretty decent jump in their you know connectivity and the way the offense meshes together as those two guys get to know each other better yeah I I think so I think that's going to be a a big boost in Tanner's performance this year you know I don't I don't know if we'll see him throw 30 touchdowns like he did two years ago but uh just getting more familiar with the, with the coordinator and, and how he uses the tools and you know, how, the, how the plays are called. Uh, you know, you might see more on the tight end position than you had in the past here uh, with the Gophers. Um, I, I think, you know, and having, having a weapon like uh, Ibrahim in the backfield, um, that should take a bit of the pressure off Tanner too. I'm curious, this is maybe gets away from the quarterback a little bit, but again, Ohio State opening the season at Minnesota on in the middle of a week, having a quarterback, their starting quarterback will have never even attempted a college pass at this point of his career. Is is Do you get the sense that Minnesota sees that as an opportunity? Like if you have to play Ohio State, are they playing Ohio State kind of under the best possible circumstances to open this season? Uh, yeah, I would think so. Um, you know, you, you go into it uh, presumably healthy. Um, you have, you have, they have, a a lot of, um, their offense line's pretty deep this year. They returned a couple players that were injured or, um, set out, uh, with co uh, because of COVID reasons last year in, uh, Curtis Dunlop Jr. And Daniel Falele. Yeah, I, I would, I would, I would think they would say, Hey, this is, this is their chance. It's, it's a Thursday night opener at home, you know, shock the world if you can. Well, thanks a lot, Randy. Really appreciate you joining us, and we will hopefully see you in a, a few months up there in Minneapolis. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, thanks to Randy for that. And, and Stephen, as you said before we, we went to Randy, that, that is the ultimate thing here. And Tanner Morgan's going to like get to make his case, right, in week one against Ohio State. Were you just a product of great receivers, or are you something on your own? 
are you a guy who you can be the reason that Minnesota can hang with Ohio State? And that's why I don't know that we have an answer to that for sure, Stephen. I think you and I are both leaning towards he feels more like a product of his receivers. But we, we may turn out to be very wrong when we see him against the Buckeyes. Which makes us the fact that all of us have him at the middle of the middle of the pack pretty that's a good spot for him. But also it's just there is there's a chance that maybe he is 2019 and he was as good as we as we thought he was that year. But then also he could easily fall down into that into that bottom six that we were talking about where he's the guy who's losing you games, especially when you think about the fact that he has the best possible shot at Ohio State, just because of, I mean, everything we've talked about Ohio State, we don't have to keep going into that, but he's got the best shot at making his case as early as possible. I, I don't actually, I, I don't think he's ever going to fall into the losing the games category because he's a three-year starter. He's been around. I just think he might be at the the bottom of the win games for you category. He's not going to be Spencer Petrus, but this just might be his ceiling. But Nathan, you, you have him a couple spots higher than we do. You have Minnesota fifth. That would incline, you know, say that like, yeah, this guy's not just because he was thrown to Rashad Bateman. Yeah, I mean, I, we'll find out, but at least we, we, and it wasn't just Bateman too. It was, it was Johnson too. I mean, they had it was a combo that it, it, you can't deny that 2019 that those are an outlier for him, and it happened to come at the time when that roster was was stacked in a, in a way that it wasn't last season. Um, so they definitely have to reach back for that, and there were some other things affecting that too. You know, the the, the turnover at the coordinator position and, and, and things that might've affected it. So it's just, I, I still have hesitations about it, but it's because it was more recent because it was a full season of performance. It just gives me slightly more confidence than some of the other guys that he could reach back and play at that level. Okay. So Minnesota, Steven and I had him seventh, Nathan had him fifth, sixth on my list is Michigan. And I moved Michigan down after the conversation that we just had with Aaron McMahon. We will get to Aaron shortly. But, Stephen, where did you have Michigan? I had Michigan five, and they were five before. And I just felt confident keeping them right there. Nathan, where did you have Michigan? I had Michigan two. Hmm. Wow. Okay. okay. Let's get to Aaron McMahon and let Aaron explain this a little bit. And then we will get back to, because this is our first like huge difference of opinion on how we view this. Aaron McMahon from MLive talking about the Michigan quarterback situation. All right, joined now by Aaron McMahon of MLive.com to talk Michigan quarterbacks. Aaron, who's the starter? Is it going to be J.J. McCarthy or Cade McNamara when Michigan gets to the fall? Good question, and, and it may be a third. Um, we'll run down the, I guess I'll run down the depth chart first as the kind of things stand coming out of spring practice. Uh, Kate McNamara is the number one guy. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has said that publicly. Um, he, he's probably he's just flat out the most experienced guy in the roster. Uh, six one two of five, Richard sophomore. He started uh, two games last year, kind of won the job over Joe Milton. Um, but again, he doesn't have a ton of experience. He's only played six games at the college level, he'll be a Richard sophomore this year. Um, just doesn't have a ton of experience under his belt. McCarthy's an interesting because he's the five-star recruit, uh, the, the, the guy everyone you know was flinging over last year when Jim Harbaugh got him out of high school. Um, I, I think he's the future, but we, we, we don't know yet. You know, And Jim Harbaugh has said he's still learning. He's still going through the ropes in spring. Um, he was the other starter when Michigan held its close at the public spring practice last month. So it, it does seem like Cade's number one, JJ's number two. Um, there's a third guy in the depth chart, Dan Valari. He's kind of an intriguing guy because he was the one that came in in Michigan's 2019 recruiting class. 
when their original quarterback recruit J.D. Johnson had to medically retire, Harbaugh was che- at the time. You guys might remember this, or at least Ohio State fans might. You know, Jim was chasing C.J. Stroud to try and get him to come to Michigan. He obviously ended up committing to Ohio State. Um, but then the wild card, you know, they got a grad transfer coming in from Texas Tech, Alan Bowman. He's expected to enroll at Michigan this summer. Didn't go through the spring with them, so he's kind of coming in brand new, not having been through the offense or seen anything. But he'll bring in the most experience. You know, he started a couple of years at Texas Tech. He put up some big numbers. So you have to think at this point, the job is probably going to be either McNamara or, or Alan Bowman. Does it feel like this is the type of job that maybe can go into the season a couple of weeks, maybe the first two or three weeks of the season, and you won't know, you know, going into week one, okay, this whether it's K or it's JJ, okay, this is the starter, and you know that 100% of this guy's going to be out there every single week? It wouldn't surprise me. You know, Jim has shown in, in the past that if they're unhappy or unsatisfied with what a starter is doing, they'll replace them. I mean, you saw that last year with, with Joe Milton. Joe Milton was the guy coming out of fall camp. Uh, everyone was talking him up. They loved his arm and, and everything else. Um, but, you know, three games in the season, it, it, everything flipped. Uh, you know, they, they threw in Cade McNamara kind of as an experiment in the second half of the Wisconsin game when Michigan was getting blown out. He looked good. He actually moved the offense. And I think that kind of got some some, some raised some eyebrows. Uh, they threw him in again the next week in the second half against Rutgers. He ended up bringing back Michigan. They ended up winning the game in, in triple overtime. So um, it wouldn't surprise me. I, you know, it, it, we'll have to see how fall camp goes, how quickly Alan Bowman kind of um, you know, acclimates, because that, that's the wild card at this point, how quickly he can get. Because he's shown that he can play at the, you know, the Big 12 level, a big-time a big level. He, he has the production. He has the, has the arm. Um, but, you know, it's it, it, one of the things that Jim Harbaugh hasn't shied away from since he's gotten to Michigan's competition. He preaches that nonstop. He likes his guys having to kind of look over their shoulder because he thinks it makes them better. Um, so we'll see. It wouldn't shock me if we're three games into the season and the quarterback situation isn't totally figured out. Aaron, I think if you'd ask people around the country, if after six or seven years of the Jim Harbaugh tenure, the one position where they probably thought there wouldn't still be all these questions was quarterback. I think that people thought, you know, based on his past, I mean, not just being a quarterback, but some of the development he had done early in his career, the the performances he'd gotten out of people at other stops, that he would be able to replicate that at Michigan. Do you see a common denominator as to why that hasn't happened so far? And, and any, any signs that that could be turning around beyond just getting someone of, of um, McCarthy's caliber? It's, it's a, it's a good question. I think it's the number one thing that's kind of, kind of prevented Jim Harbaugh in Michigan from getting over the top here. Um, He's brought in some, some, you know, some highly touted recruits out of high school. If you go back down the line, you know, um, you know, uh, for instance, I guess we'll start with Shea Patterson, the most recent name folks obviously like to talk about him. You know, he was obviously a transfer, but he was a high four star kid coming out of college, highly touted. Uh, they couldn't get a ton out of him. They couldn't develop him, get him over the top, the hot, the, the hump. The, the number one guy that got out of high school, Jim Harrell's first real quarterback recruit to Michigan, Brandon Peters. Again, a mid-level four-star kid they thought was going to be the next, whatever, Andrew Locke. He was compared to a lot of, a lot of guys. They couldn't, they couldn't, couldn't develop him. He's now he's at Illinois. He's done okay, but he hasn't turned. I don't think he's materialized in that top tier guy. Um, if you look back, Jim Harbaugh's had the most success with his grad transfers. Jake Rudock, you know, obviously he had developed under a, a previous coach, a previous school. Um, so I would, I would point to some of the recruits that Jim Harbaugh's gotten out of high school have been maybe over, overly overrated from some of these recruiting stops. You could also, from recruiting services, you could also point to the, the lack of development. They just haven't, haven't been able to develop, bring in a guy from high school, 
develop them all four years and turn them into that Andrew Luck that folks like to like to talk about. Now, th- that's not to say it can't happen. I mean, McNamara was a mid four star kid. He's only been in the program a couple of years. He he showed flashes last year. And t- to be honest with you guys, I, I think it surprised some some folks on the Michigan coaching staff because if you go back and look at the off season last year, twenty twenty, um, you know, before the pandemic and everything else. Key McNamara was number three on the depth chart. You had you had Joe Milton, um, you had Dylan McCaffrey, and then you had McNamara. Now Milton and, and McCaffrey have since left, and that's another guy. You know, Dylan McCaffrey, another four-star kid. Folks had like a high ceiling on. They just they haven't been able to develop. He's now going to Northern Colorado to play for his dad at the FCS level. So uh, it, it's it's a combination of things. They they simply have not been able to develop a quarterback. I think they've gotten guys. They've had talent in here, and they've got talent still in here. With I meant you mentioned I mentioned McCarthy. McNamara is a guy. Now it's time for Jim Harbaugh to develop talent. You could point to the in and out nature of of the coaching staff. He's had several quarterback coaches and offensive coordinators in here since since Harbaugh's gotten here. So I don't think that's helped. But I think it's just a confluence of all those things. It just it just hasn't worked out. So Aaron, given the state of the Michigan program right now, the, all the changes to the assistant coaching staff this offseason, which I think are are very interesting changes. It seems like it's a, a an interesting, definitely potential with that group. Would it lead Jim Harbaugh to take more of a risk? I, it's just it's just JJ McCarthy question. It's like, hey, he's the five star guy you've been waiting for. Roll the dice, put him out there. If you take some lumps, it'll pay off when he's a sophomore and a junior and he's playing at an All-American level. If he takes lumps this year, fine. Or is our Jim Harbaugh and Michigan has a spot of like, listen, like we got to win games right now. We had a really bad year last year. We are not in the lump-taking business. Cade McNamara is more of a sure thing. Let J.J. McCarthy take his lumps in practice and we'll play him as a sophomore. Which is more the case with where Michigan is right now? I think if you were to ask the fan base, they probably would want J.J. McCarthy in there taking the lumps. They would want him playing right away as a true freshman and just kind of getting getting that you know used to that college game. That just isn't, that hasn't shown to be Jim Harbaugh's mo. He 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 tends to you know um, be delicate with his quarterbacks early on. He doesn't like throwing them out there right away. In fact, he prefers redshirting them. He doesn't wanting them playing as true freshmen. And that that would not surprise me if we don't see much of J.J. McCarthy this fall. If you go back and, and, and look at Harbaugh's record, he just doesn't do that. Uh, he prefers more higher experienced guys, guys that have been in the system for a while, and guys he's probably comfortable with throwing out there. Now, you mentioned a good point of them having to win games, and that's certainly, I think, another aspect of this because the fan base is growing frustrated. They want Michigan to finally start winning some games, winning some meaningful games. Um, and, and they do want wins. Now it, it, it's, now if you, it, it's interesting because you throw in the, the changes on defense and this Michigan defense, if you look at what they did last year and then what they are bringing back this year, they may not be very good this year. Um, so that, that this may be the possibility that the opportunity for them to do it. I just don't see how Jim Harbaugh, you know, changing his ways. It just hasn't, hasn't changed. And I, I don't think it's going to. That, that philosophy of how he approaches the quarterback position and not necessarily just throwing out the, the highly touted guy out there, how has that maybe impacted the quarterback recruiting and how the, you know, outside of JJ being the five star that he is, when you look at the 2022 class and the classes before JJ McCarthy, how did the, how does this approach this philosophy, especially in this world where quarterbacks are trying to get on the field as quickly as possible? How does this philosophy impact Michigan's ability to recruit the JJ McCarthy's of the world a little bit more consistently? 
Good question. And I don't know if it's impacted it so much because I do think Jim is pretty transparent about what he's looking for in, in players. Um, now, he, he does tell them flat out the best quarterback is going to win. Now, in, in the college game, obviously, experience tends to win out in that situation. But you know, given Michigan's struggles, the offensive side of the ball the last couple of years, it wouldn't surprise it, you know, it wouldn't shock me if, if they go with they, they try something. Now, we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't think it's made too much of a dent from a recruiting perspective because they, they've still been able to land high, high four star guys. They've been able to land guys they've wanted. Uh, so I don't think it's necessarily affected that. But you have seen a, a, and we've documented this quite a bit, a long list of guys, quarterbacks depart. Now, I don't necessarily think that's because of a lack of playing time so much as them just getting an opportunity and not taking advantage of it. Uh, you look at, you know, for instance, I mentioned Brandon Peters earlier. They tried him, you know, they threw him in there for several games. He struggled at times, wasn't, you know, adept with the offense. And and that was that. Same thing with Joe Milton. They gave him an opportunity. He struggled. Now you can make the argument maybe the leash was, was too short. Maybe they didn't give him enough time. And that and that's possible. And that's, you know, that's that's a thing. Um, but I don't think it's changed the recruiting approach or philosophy a whole lot. Aaron, you said Cade McNamara flashed last year. Obviously, Ohio State didn't play Michigan last year, so I don't know how much Ohio State fans would have really seen him play last year. Can you give us an indicate, well, like, what did he flash, and why could he be the guy who takes the job and is still starting when Ohio State and Michigan play in Ann Arbor this year? Well, right away, he, he moved the offense, and that was a concern or struggle with Joe Milton. You know, if we go back to 2020, if fans throw on the tape, Joe Milton started the season – he he looked fine the first couple of games. He was he he was asked to do certain things. Now he was he was limited in in regards to some some of the play callings and, and things they wanted to do with him. But he did the job in the week one against Minnesota. I thought he was fine week two. The, the loss to Michigan State. I don't think that was on him. But after that, you started seeing the mistakes. I think they started adding more. They were starting giving more responsibility, and, and you saw the the struggles happen. But they threw McNamara in, and he just he moved the football. They scored. Um, they had some. They just had movement with the offense. It looked more fluid with him in there. He does a little bit, few, a little more. He's more mobile than Milton. Uh, he can throw the deep ball. Uh, he he's got a good arm, and he he showed that in high school. He threw for gosh, I think seven or eight thousand yards during his, his four years in, in Reno. So he he has a he's he's a playmaking ability, um, and, and the mobility that I think the Michigan offense prefers. Uh, so I think that's what gave him an opportunity. Now, and I think it was just a confidence thing too. They threw him out there when it didn't really matter. Games didn't matter because they were in blowouts or they just they weren't playing well. And and he was he he came out and he's playing well. So I think there's a confidence boost there too. Um, the problem is we didn't really see him you know um, go through that that that. That, that the issues you know he started he, he came in the second half of Rutgers brought them back he started the following week against Penn State and then he got he came out of the game injured after that the season ended so it, it was kind of a, an abrupt ending we didn't see it kind of a finish or see how he handled the adversity and that's what I'm most curious about uh, if he does get the starting job this fall when and if he struggles how does he bounce back talking about this quarterback picture at Michigan there seemed to be a time right in January where it felt like Jim Harbaugh was not going to hire a quarterbacks coach and he was going to coach the quarterbacks this year. And then in February, they hired this Matt Weiss guy who had worked with Harbaugh at Stanford, hired him off his brother's staff with the Ravens. What do you make of that? I'm on some level. I'm, I'm assuming Aaron that when it felt like, okay, listen, Jim Harbaugh's like future at Michigan is on the line. He's a quarterback. He's going to take control of the room. This is his last stand. And it's like, Oh no, we hired this Ravens guy. Like what, what is, how do you think the quarterback room is going to work out from a coaching perspective? And what did you think of that move? 
Yeah, it, it was a weird one because you're right. I, I think most of expect most of us expected Jim to kind of take the reins to the quarterback position, just kind of lead. You know, it's something we've seen, we saw early on in his tenure. Well, J- Jim has largely almost always every year had a quarterbacks coach. Jim has always had a a say in, in you know the coaching and overseeing things and having him. He was he's always around. He's he's always likes to have his opinion in there. And, and give his thoughts on things. So it didn't surprise me to hire a quarterback's coach, but at the same time, give, given the struggles they went through last year, the, the, the decision to not renew quarterback's coach Ben McDaniels last year, I thought he would be the guy. He obviously saw something in Matt Weiss. Weiss does have quarterback experience. Um, interestingly enough, when they hired him, they kept bringing up his analytical, um, his analytical experience and his, 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 his preference with numbers. So I'm curious to see how that comes into play with regards to the offense. He's, he's collecting a huge salary. I think he's the second or third highest assistant paid assistant coach on staff this year so that tells me maybe perhaps there's some offensive coordinator in waiting there um i, I don't know it, it, it was an interesting hire it was a last second hire that he kind of had to uh, you know fumble around because they had to do some change some things with the coaching staff and move some guys to the offensive side of the ball the defensive side of the ball so i don't know it, it's gonna be interesting to play out uh, watch to, interesting to watch and, and play out uh because he's certainly jim is certainly gonna have, have an effect he'll certainly have a say uh, how much and, and how, how, how closely he works with the Weiss in the offense remains to be seen. All right, Aaron, we'll let you out of here on this one. So in the end, in the final evaluation here, feels like Cade McNamara is the favorite from what you're saying. Alan Bowman, who, who did has played at Texas Tech, is an interesting wrinkle. J.J. McCarthy is probably more the future than he is the present. How well do you think Michigan's quarterback, whoever it is, will play this year. Are you sitting here thinking like, man, this is totally up in the air. I have huge questions about the quarterback position for Michigan in 2021. Or do you think in the end, you know what? I think they have a lot of good options and they'll probably get pretty good quarterback play. I'm leaning towards the latter because of, of two reasons. I, I, I'm really bullish on this offensive line. They returned four of the five stars up front. They got some experienced guys there. So I think protection wise, they'll be fine. They've got some talented running backs that I think, um, we saw flashes of them last year. They were productive in what was asked of them, but you didn't see them in, in mass. So I think there's pieces around the quarterback that I think can make the Michigan quarterback better. Uh, so I, I think they'll be okay. I, I do, whoever they go with. Uh, whether it's good enough to, to, to get them over the hump and get this team into the Big Ten title picture, I, I don't know. I, I'm leaning toward no because, again, I keep pointing the defense. We've seen it in, in the past where Michigan's defense has held, held up. It's been the offense that struggles. I think it's going to be the opposite this year. So I, I don't, I'm not so much worried about the quarterback position. I think whoever they end up with, they'll be fine. Um, but it, it's more, more or less the, uh, the other pieces, especially on the other side of the football. All right, he's Aaron McMahon of M Live. Make sure you're reading him for everything you want to know about Michigan football. We always appreciate your uh, input, Aaron, and I'm sure we'll talk down the line very soon. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks to Aaron for that. Nathan, why do you have Michigan second? I think when you have a combination of both stability and potential upside in that room that you don't see in, in even most other Big Ten programs. I mean, we're, we're talking about some others that have guys like a Tanner Morgan, like some of the other quarterbacks we haven't still talked about yet. So the, the, the top option is um, as good or better than what Michigan has. But I'm not convinced that J.J. McCarthy doesn't play this season um, if, if, if he can force that issue. You've got a guy coming in in Bowman from Texas Tech who gives them another guy who is produced at the college level. Um, I know it was in a, a defense challenged conference, but he, again, he's also done it a lot, uh, extensive amount of experience doing that. So I, I just, when you take that whole picture into account, 
Um, a lot of these other teams that maybe are, you have ranked higher, you're always one position. You're always one misstep away from having to rely on a, you know, some three-star ranked in the yeah. thousands. And I think that the Michigan room is just set up better to uh, deal with those contingencies if they come up. Okay. So that's like, so, so that's part of it. We said we were doing room, but like, I don't, I don't care that much about the backup quarterback. Lots of places are screwed. If you're backup, if your starter gets hurt, if we were well, just, not just doing the starter getting hurt, it's a starter not playing well. If Cade McNamara comes out and doesn't play well, they've all, they've got Bowman and they've got McCarthy that they can go to that are both higher ceiling okay, guys the guy, than the second or third option at most other big, but I don't programs. care about the second or third option that much in the ranking. If we're talking about who the guy on the field is going to be, you think the guy on the field for Michigan will be the second best quarterback in the Big Ten? I think Michigan's collective uh, quarterback um, production. You think the guy yes. that Michigan will have on the field will be better than Graham Mertz? Um, yeah, I think he could be. Yeah, I mean, you have him ranked higher. That's what you're saying. Yeah, well, obviously, like, I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but, but so it's like. I mean, I get that Michigan, yes, because they have multiple options, has a little more depth. I'm mostly thinking about the guy that's going to be on the field, whoever that guy is. I moved Michigan down. If it's not going to be J.J. McCarthy, it's like, okay, Cade McNamara, he's he's good. He was the number 268 overall player in the class of 2019. He's only played like four games, though, and he's played like a start and a half. Like, it's not – he's not like super experienced like a bunch of these other guys are. He's not ranked super high in recruiting like a bunch of these other guys are, but Aaron just spent 15 minutes telling us he's probably the starter. So if that's who the guy is, who's going to play, I can't put Michigan any higher than this because I've got a top five where the guy that I think is going to be on the field, I think is better than Cade McNamara. Now, if JJ McCarthy gets past McNamara and wins and is on the field, then okay. But like, if that's not what it's going to be, that's what I'm thinking about, which is why I have him sixth. Stephen, how do you address that? The if it's going to be McNamara, how that affects your thinking? It affects it because I think it's going to be McNamara to start the season, and so I have to have lower expectations. So I can't put them any higher than five. If it was JJ McCarthy, like straight out, I might have him at number three in that situation, just based on what the, what the ceiling is at that point. But I also at five, I feel like that's a comfortable spot where I can say. Cade Mac, just the way we talked to Aaron about it, Cade McNamara might be the starter the first two or three to four weeks of the season, but by the time we get to the Ohio State game, it's JJ McCarthy out. That's there. but that's not what he said. Like we can say what that's the kind of stuff we've been talking about. That is not what he said. What the beat well, writer no, it, we just had on for 15 minutes, he was not talking about, oh, I think they're gonna ease JJ McCarthy in and he'll be the starter. Well, no, that's not I'm not saying season. it's I'm not saying it's because they ease him. I'm just saying it's because he wouldn't stole the job. Cause I, I did ask, do you think that this is something that can go on to the first three or four weeks of the season? He said, Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. So I'm I'm not saying they're easing it. It's it's gonna be purposely done that way. I'm saying Cade McNamara is going to win the job, but just like we saw with Joe Milton last season when he won the job, at some point he's going to lose the job because he doesn't play well enough and Jay and Cade McNamara was playing better than him in practice and he stole the job. I'm saying it works out more like that. It's not about them easing JJ. It's just McCarthy goes in there and he steals the job at some point because Cade McNamara is not getting it done. Okay. I know what you're trying, I know what you're trying to say, Doug, but I also thought the, the exercise for this was not who's projected starting quarterback rank the projected starting quarterbacks in the big 10. I thought it was ranked the quarterback situations in the big 10. And I like Michigan's quarterback situation top to bottom better than some of these other programs. But the situation is who plays. So like, but it's also, it's also the potential upside of who ends up being on the field this year. 
Right, but it's who plays. The, the, the situation is who plays. I like, don't know for ha- sure who's going to play for Michigan right now. Exactly. But I think, but, but I think if it's not going to be J.J. McCarthy, which is before we talked to Aaron, is what I thought it would be, then I can't bank on his upside. And I think there are guys who have a better combination of experience and upside than Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy if it's not going to be J.J. McCarthy. We can get into – so we just did a lot of Michigan. Let's move off Michigan and get to the next thing because, like, I think, for instance, the team that I have five, given what we just learned about Michigan, I definitely have this team ahead of Michigan, and it's Maryland. Because Talia Tonga-Bailoa made four starts last year. He was bad in two of them, and he was awesome in two of them. He's a number 180 overall recruit in the country. He's got a pedigree. He's the guy. He, he got some experience. He's more experienced – and I think more talented than Cade McNamara. And so if he's going to be the guy, then I'm going to put Maryland ahead of Michigan. So I have Maryland fifth. Where'd you have Maryland, Nathan? Sixth. Steven, where'd you have Maryland? I have them sixth as well. Okay. So you both have Michigan ahead of Maryland. Do you, who would you rather, who do you think will be a better quarterback this year? Cade McNamara or Talia tonga I don't Talia think that's Tugabai. the only question here, though. I think Talia Tagovailoa will okay. probably a better well, quarterback this year. Okay. Well, we you already answered the you already answered the situation question by both of you ranking Michigan ahead of Maryland. But right. I'm think... asking you my question: Who's the better? Who do you think will be a better quarterback? Tagovailoa or McNamara? Would Ta- Maryland trade its whole quarterback room for Michigan's for this year? Yes. No, Michigan would trade for Tag would would trade for Talia. Michigan would trade Cade McNamara and JJ McCarthy and Alan Bowman for T- Alan Bowman blows. and the walk-ons that Maryland has. He's your starting quarterback, and he can win you games. He can win games for you. I don't know that Cade McNamara can do that necessarily, and you're not. It doesn't sound like you're going to trust JJ McCarthy this year, probably, according to I'm, what the beat writer said. So I'll take Tonga Vailoa. I am banking on a similar situation that we saw last year where the, uh, somebody steals a job and that by the time that Maryland-Michigan game actually does happen on November 20th, J.J. McCarthy's a starting quarterback. And in similar sample size, if you go back and look at the numbers, I don't Mc, McNamara and Tagovailoa, it's not like considerably different when you start talking about efficiency and things like that. Now, Tagovailoa was like the established starter for more of the games that he played and you know got some longer run and things like that but i also don't think of uh, that the, there's necessarily this like chasm between the two of them so talk about Aloha in his two he was two and two in four games as a starter and their season got totally jacked up by covid mm-hmm. in the two wins over penn state excuse me over penn state and minnesota he had six touchdowns one interception and he completed 72% of his passes and the two losses against indiana and Northwestern, he had one touchdown, six interceptions, and completed 51% of his passes. Now, Indiana and Northwestern can play some defense. They made a lot of people look bad last year. And that they made a, a first-year starter at quarterback look bad is no shock. Their season got completely jacked. But he's played more than Cade McNamara. He was ranked higher in recruiting than Cade McNamara. And the other thing, too, is... I mean, like, Stephen, you're saying if you thought it was J.J. McCarthy, J.J. McCarthy still hasn't played a snap, and we have to get into this conversation. There's a direct conversation between Michigan and Ohio State. It is sometimes hard for guys who have never played to be awesome right away. So, like, all right, if, if Tonga Bailoa has had a year of doing it, that's a little higher than J.J. McCarthy. I just, 
I know what you're saying. You're Nathan, you're talking a lot about rooms, but the room is about who plays. And I can't, yes, backup quarterbacks matter. And yes, guys might get hurt, but I'm going to assume that any starting quarterback that gets hurt is bad for that team. So I'm not going to do the, the quality of the backup in terms of an injury thing all that much. In terms of might the guy behind take the job eventually, whatever, that does matter, I think. That's where the room matters. But I just think Talia Tonga-Vailoa is like a good, young quarterback who's entering year two as a starter who might be ready to do something. And I'm not exactly sure what anybody at Michigan is ready to do. So I have I have them fifth. Steven, you had them sixth. Nathan, you had them sixth. But do we think Tonga-Vailoa might be good? I think it remains to be seen. Again, I think he's got to just refine his game. It can't. You can't have that kind of inconsistency. Um, you've got to be um, just. Uh, you have to refine that. You, there needs to be a little bit more of an even performance. I'll give some benefit of the doubt because yeah, Northwestern, Indiana, two of the best defenses in the country, and then also you played Minnesota and Penn State, who were terrible. So we didn't get. I don't think we got a real feel for him because he didn't get a normal situation. It was either play one of the best defenses in the country or play some team who's playing awful. So if he'd have had a fifth game that could have, I guess, been the tiebreaker in this situation, I guess I could answer that question a little bit more confidently. And 2020 is so screwed up, too, because part of you wants to say, well, maybe that fifth game would have been Ohio State. But would that have been uh, a detriment to his performance or a positive right. for his performance to get to play Ohio State's defense in 2020? Because that's, that's a hard thing to gauge. So, OK, we're talking about that he was inconsistent. Cade McNamara was 27 of 36 for 260 yards in the triple overtime win against Rutgers. And then the next week against Penn State, when Michigan lost to Penn State, he was 12 of 25 for 91 yards. So, like, yeah, I get that Talia was inconsistent and he made four starts. I mean, Cade McNamara, like, beat Rutgers, went toe-to-toe with Noah Vedral in one game and then stunk the next week. And like, that's his whole resume. And he's currently leading the competition against the five-star guy that isn't going to play unless Cade McNamara blows it. I understand what you're saying about how the, the, the person projected to play the most right now, that has to be a factor. I think you have to factor in though, the fact that at Maryland, there's like literally nobody behind this guy. Like it's just walk cons and a guy coming like in from it. BMI who tore his knee up. So the where would you have ranked pass- the only touchdown pass in the spring game was on a halfback pass from a wall. I don't care. I don't care about the backup stats. Where would you have ranked Ohio State's quarterback room in 2019 when Gunnar Hoke was a backup at Justin Fields? Would you have ranked it fourth because their backup quarterback sucked? Or would you have Justin said, Justin Fields well, had a much, much, much higher upside than Talia Tagovailoa, don't you think? That's why I don't have Maryland first. But, like, you are obsessed with the backup quarterback. If the, quarter, if the backup quarterback might start based on merit, it matters. If it's just an injury thing, Lots of teams don't have backup quarterbacks. As long as the guy doesn't get hurt, they're fine. They're not going to play anybody else other than him unless he gets hurt. And if he gets hurt, lots of teams are screwed when their starter gets hurt. I, I just don't understand. It. Like That's not a reason to have Michigan four spots ahead of Maryland. I think there's more parallel between the 2019 Ohio State room and the 2021 Michigan room than the 2021 Maryland room. Say it again. I think there's more correlation between the 2019 Ohio State room that you just mentioned and the current Michigan room, the 2021 Michigan room, than there is between the That's Ohio State room at all. and how, the 2021 how, how? Maryland room. Can you because elaborate you've got on that? a talent of McCarthy uh, with, with, the, with the, the, the potential ceiling of someone like McCarthy in that room. That's closer to, I think, Justin Fields than Talia Tagovailoa right. is. Right, but Kay McNamara is, is 
20 times better than what Gunnar Hoka or no, did it? CJ so Stroud, better. So you're saying Miller. it's better than the 2019 Ohio State room. What is? Is that what you're saying, Stephen? No, what I'm saying it's not compared. You're saying that the, the the 2019 room for Ohio State and this 2021 room for Michigan are similar, just based off the depth of the room. I don't think that's true at all. Like, oh, yeah. I, that Ohio State no, room just had like Justin Fields in that room. No, this, they didn't have collective you're, talent. You're, you're, it was just Justin. It was literally just Justin and nothing you're, else. You're stating it wrong. Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud weren't here in 2019. It was just Gunnar no. Hoke. Right. And Chugs. So how are you comparing that to J.J. McCarthy being the backup for Michigan when you're complaining, comparing That's not what I'm saying. What, what are you saying? Yeah, obviously, I'm saying that the when you have a player like McCarthy in that room that has that upside, I'm not saying he's going to be Justin Fields, but I'm saying he has more of an elite upside than even Talia Tagovailoa does. That's what but I'm he's saying. not going to play. We don't know that yet. The beat we don't just know said that he's yet. not going to play. He just it, said that in May after the lockdown that they have at Michigan, where you don't get any information about anything. Are you? Are I'm you sorry, I'm waiting to see. Happen? No, I'm saying none of us do. Yeah, I'm saying he can't 100 right now predict that McCarthy won't play this year. I'm saying he I'm say- cannot do that. I- I'm saying that he said that that Jim Harbaugh has had no problem pulling a quarterback in the past uh, in, during the middle of the season if he feel like he wasn't getting the job done. And I think Cade McNamara won't be getting the job done. J.J. McCarthy is going to force him to put him on the field. I think, I think putting Michigan second based on the idea that maybe J.J. McCarthy will play behind some of these other programs when we know who the starting quarterback is going to be doesn't make any sense given the way that Aaron just explained it. Jim Harbaugh's thinking how he usually handles things. Of course he might play, but I didn't I didn't have a grasp on exactly how Jim Harbaugh thinks about the quarterback situation as much as I do now based on what Aaron said. And so if he's not going to be the guy, I can't like give Michigan too much of a boost when it doesn't sound like he's going to win the starting job. All right. You guys have Maryland Sixth and sixth, I had Maryland fifth. Fourth, I have Wisconsin. This is Graham Mertz. He's going to be the guy. He had a weird year last year. He was awesome in start one. He got COVID. His season fell apart. He's still like the transformational quarterback for the Wisconsin football program. Nathan, where'd you have Wisconsin? Fourth. Where'd you have Wisconsin, Stephen? Third. Why'd you have them um, that high, Stephen? It's it's less. I think that's. It. I think Graham Mertz just might be better in a, in a more you know normal season where he's not having a good game and then having games get canceled right after that. I think there is a ceiling that's a little bit higher for him to reach. But also some of why he's ranked third is because of the team I have fourth. I think their quarterback might fall into a similar situation that Tanner Morgan got into last year when he lost his weapons, and that's Indiana. If we when we were going to go down that road with Michael Penix. Okay, so Wisconsin is fourth, fourth, and third. Nathan, you generally think like Graham Mertz is going to be pretty good. Like we we had high expectations for him last year. He had a wacky year. I think you wipe a decent portion of that away, and you still look at him as like a top 60 national recruit who is definitely the starter, who at least got a little bit of experience. But I just like of all the guys, we keep saying like, ah, it was a weird year. I feel like Mertz is the guy almost the most is like he had COVID man. Like, and then there, it just, he wasn't very good, but I'm just sort of giving him a pass on a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, no, I think he could be pretty good actually. And I, I have them there that they were the top team in my tier two. They're like the team that would like maybe most be able to sneak up and get into what I think is a tier one situation for the room relative to the rest of the big 10. Um, but I'm, I still want to kind of see him show it with more consistency because he did, it came out gangbusters and had this phenomenal game against Illinois 
And then, yes, he caught COVID. He still played uh, seven games. So it wasn't like he missed a lot of time because of that. Um, but I think that that was a factor. That everything was a factor for any time. All these guys that we've said that COVID might be a factor, It's I think it's amplified when you're a young guy and probably especially when you're a young quarterback. Even Justin Fields, we saw how the, the inconsistency of the structure of the season affected his performance. So I, that had to be a, a, an additional factor for someone like Graham Mertz. He was solid when he played last year, but it was almost – we. I think we all thought that we thought we would see – something from Graham Mertz that didn't look like just another quote-unquote good Big Ten quarterback, which is actually kind of a um, rip, the way we talk about them on this podcast. And that is what he was. He was a good Big Ten quarterback last year. He was never going to replicate that 20-for-21 thing that he did against Illinois in week one. But the problem – it's just when you have basically almost a month in between games, you don't get to see, okay, what's he really? You got that 20-for-21 out of your system. What are you really? No, okay, instead you have to take a month off, and so now you're 54%, 56%, 58%. You don't really get back to being in the 60s until late in the season against Minnesota and then in the bowl game against Wake Forest. So, again – Graham Mertz, the number 65 overall recruit in the class of 2019, seven starts last year. One thing that's also, I think, important at Wisconsin, Paul Chris, the head coach, has taken stuff back offensively. He's taken back the quarterback room. He's taken back play calling. I think they weren't happy with how the offense worked last year. I think that's an opportunity for Graham Mertz to play better. Um, we put a lot. It's like one of these things. We were talking about Graham Mertz last year, the way we're talking about J.J. McCarthy this year. And then he had a weird year, and it's like, ah. Eh, it's like it just, you know, sometimes it's hard to be a young quarterback. I, I I wouldn't – he hasn't lost any of the shine to me. Maybe we'll be wrong and he won't be as good, but I just think that it got so jacked up that um, we're kind of all in agreement here. Wisconsin fourth for me and Nathan, third for Steven. All right, I think this is where we're going to have a big disagreement if I'm reading this list correctly, and I think I am. I have Northwestern third. Steven, where do you have Northwestern? I have Northwestern second. Nathan, where do you have Northwestern? I have Northwestern eighth. Okay. That's what I'm keeping track here, having to slot that in. So one of the texters mentioned this when we first started talking about quarterbacks in the Big Ten on this podcast several months ago, and we underestimated Ryan Halitsky. And a texter made note of that, and I made note of that. And Ryan Halitsky, who was going to be the Northwestern starter, is a transfer from South Carolina. He was the number two. Number 64 overall player in the class of 2019. He was one spot ahead of Graham Mertz in the same class. He went to South Carolina. He was the backup quarterback. The starter got hurt in week two. And Ryan Holinsky, as a true freshman at South Carolina, got thrown into the job. He started 11 games for South Carolina that year. Then in 2020, they brought in a grad transfer from Colorado State and they also had the former Colorado State head coach, Mike Bobo, as their offensive coordinator. So they gave the job to the grad transfer from Colorado State over Halinski. He barely played last year. And then South Carolina sucked and Will Muschamp got fired. So I think if you believe in Ryan Halinski, some portion of that is Will Muschamp is an idiot. And I think Will Muschamp is a terrible coach. He has been given multiple opportunities. He's never been good. And he screwed up the quarterback situation. It's like he plays a guy as a true freshman who's a top 100 national recruit because of an injury. And then the next year is like, oh, my job's on the line. Let's play the grad transfer. 
because his old fired head coach is my offensive coordinator. Insanity. So Ryan Helinski, now they fire Will Muschamp. Shane Beamer comes in. Ryan Helinski's like, get me out of here. And he's going to come into Northwestern. He's coming to Northwestern as a third-year college player who was a top 100 national recruit who's made 11 career starts. He has experience and he has pedigree. And he's getting out of what I think was a terrible coaching situation. And he's going to Pat Fitzgerald. I think it's going to work. I think he has a lot going for him. I don't feel like I'm projecting a ton. Yeah, I don't think his stats work. He's played Alabama as a true freshman at South Carolina. That's why I have them third. Nathan, we'll get to you in a second. Steven, you have them second, even ahead of Graham Mertz. As I do, I have my head of Graham Mertz. You have my head of Michael Penix. Why do you have this Northwestern quarterback situation so high, Steven? I think it's a perfect situation for him because I think he's he can do what I think he's better than what Peyton Ramsey did is and Peyton Ramsey got to the Big Ten Championship game last year. You're talking going to a team where Northwestern's probably gonna have a quality defense, so you can lean on that, but also you just mentioned it. He's played against the Alabamas, the LSU, a good LSU team, the Floridas, the Georgias. Of the, he's played against those top-tier SEC teams. He looked pretty quality as a true freshman doing that. So he brings that level of experience with a top 100 pedigree, even though there is a huge drop-off in between him being the number two pro-style quarterback and what Spencer Rattler was the number one pro-style quarterback that year. That wasn't a very good quarterback class. But still, he brings all of that to a team where – I just think he's a he's a step up from what Peyton Ramsey was, who got them to a Big Ten title game last year. He wasn't great down the stretch. His, he made that start at Alabama. He was 36 of 57 for 324 yards, two touchdowns and an interception um, in September against Alabama. He was 15 of 20. He, he had a lot of games where he threw for like 150 yards the rest of that year. He threw for 319 against Tennessee in a loss. Threw for 235 when they beat Vanderbilt. Uh, was only 16 of 27 for 105 yards when they lost to Clemson to end the year. So, Nathan, he didn't have great stats, but he has he was playing in a tough situation. Um, and he's sliding into a program where they are going to go the transfer route with quarterbacks a lot of the time. What went into your thinking about ranking this eighth? Yeah, and this is one of those things where it- – I understand that there's a gap between like second or third and eighth, and it looks dramatic, but it that's not me necessarily slamming this situation. I, I think that there's, there's definite upside here because he was so young when he got that first shot. And um, I, I agree with Steven. He's walking into a good situation. I will say though, just being better than Peyton Ramsey. I mean, Northwestern didn't get to the big 10 championship game last year because of Peyton Ramsey. I think there were other factors there. And I think we want the the point I think everyone's probably trying to make is that, maybe he could be the answer as to why a Northwestern team does succeed for once at quarterback, which is something we're not used to necessarily seeing. I, I just want to see that play out. I think there's, I don't know that we can say for certainty that he will be better than Sean Clifford this year. I would still maybe take Talia Tagovailoa over him for this year. Certainly I would take Michael Penix. So then when you start talking about, and I know that this sounds we, we start mixing some of our, our criteria here, but like those are still, there were still a lot of places that I was, I was kind of, were almost tied for me. And I started just sort of ranking them based on what I've seen with my own eyes, as opposed to what's more theoretical. I still think his, his success is a little bit more theoretical at this point. So, I mean, at some point we were having a conversation about like guys who have played and proven like what they're not right. We have a lot of guys lower 
in our ranking who have played a lot, but it's like they kind of show that they, they don't have much of a ceiling. This feels to me like a guy who's a mix of like, he has experience, but like, I don't think we've seen it yet. I mean, like you're getting thrown in against Alabama as a true freshman in the SEC, and now you're coming in year three to the Big Ten. Um, I just like, when I think again, like, who do I really think is going to be a better quarterback this year? Ryan Helinski or Tanner Morgan? I, I think Ryan Helinski. Like, who do we really think is going to be a better quarterback? Like Sean Clifford, who we I, we said we we know what he is and was never ranked as high in recruiting as Ryan Helinski. And Sean Clifford's never thrown for 300 yards against Alabama, right? Like, I just, I, I like the mix of potential plus experience that, again, Halinski started for a whole year. He has more starts than Graham Mertz. He has more starts than Talia Tonga-Vailoa. Um, but he has more upside to me than guys like Sean Clifford and Tanner Morgan, which is why I slotted him here third. I'll, I'll be curious for the discussion of, of let's have it now. We're going to go to Indiana. I have Indiana second. Nathan, you have Indiana third. And Stephen, you have Indiana fourth. Mm-hmm. I can't. I think part of the conversation we had before about like other Big Ten quarterbacks, we talked a lot about Michael Penix. It was like, well, we kind of agreed. It's like, well, Michael Penix kind of is like the next best guy in the Big Ten behind the Ohio State guys. Neither of you, maybe I'm remembering that wrong. Neither of you guys have Indiana second. Stephen, you have him the lowest. Why do you have Indiana fourth? A couple of things. One, just looking back through Indiana's schedule last year and looking at the teams he was able to have this success against. Penn State sucked. Rutgers sucked. Michigan sucked. Michigan State sucked. Ohio State secondary sucked, and a lot of that happened in the second half. And he got that's injured. That's the whole Maryland, Big so. Ten East. It's not. That's. I mean, that's the whole. I know. Big Ten. I know that. But that's. And, Are you but giving also, no credit? That's everybody in the Big Ten played against sucky teams in last year, right? But also, he lost all of the weapons that got him a lot of that explosive yardage. Just like what Tanner Morgan had in 2019, where he had two explosive weapons and he lost those weapons. Now we're talking about okay, Tanner, was it the weapons or was it you? I think Michael Penix might be in a situation like that this year where we're going to find out whether it was the weapons, the two wide receivers, or was it Michael Penix is really that good? Who were the receivers he lost? Wap Fillior, and I can't remember the name of it. Would you be referring to the undrafted Wap Fillior? As opposed yeah. to the first round Rashad Bateman and the fifth round Tyler Johnson? And Ty, I mean, I th- and Ty Freifogel. Ty Freifogel, who I don't even think, like, is he going to even be in a camp? Like I'm, I, you think Wap Fillier made Michael Penix what he was? I think trying to compare like the Minnesota receiver situation. Wap Fillier didn't get drafted. Rashad Bateman went 27th overall. I believe Ty Freifogel is still in school, by the way. Oh, so they're not even. He's not even losing Ty Freifogel. I think so. So I, I don't, I don't think like I mean this is I the big the voting for the offense you know whatever. People did what Fuller make like first team last year or something like for the receivers. I mean, it's so stupid. Like, I mean, he's fine. He's uh, he, Michael Penix made him. He didn't make Michael Penix. So I don't, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know who the receivers are for Indiana. I figure they'll be fine. Nathan, why'd you have Indiana third? Again, I, I, I have been one of the more pessimistic people about Indiana's actual performance versus results and I think he is an example of that um I I don't know if I I looked at it quite through the same lens as Steven did but I I have wondered if one great half against Ohio State that we saw with our own eyes and this beat saw with its own eyes has colored the perspective on him a little bit and made him into something more than he is 
I mean, for the season, he was a 56% passer. Pretty efficient. I mean, got a lot of touchdowns, did not turn the ball over a lot, although we did, again, the week before he played Ohio State, I saw him play Michigan State and threw a couple picks in the first half and looked very ordinary. So I've just never thought of him as being, like, elite tier. Think of him being as, like, on the – the right side of the bell curve of that, of that good big 10 quarterback thing, like sort of sliding down towards, he could be something else, but like year long performance doesn't really blow me away. I do like that. They had, you know, Tuttle came in after Penix got hurt and was able to give them good quarterback play. I think that factors into how I was ranking these rooms as we talked about before, but also on the flip side of that, Penix has been a little bit injury prone too. And that factors into this a little bit for me too. Like, is he a guy you're going to be able to count on for a full season or just the way that he plays is, is it going to keep leading to uh, them having to go to the second tier a lot? Okay. Uh, he was a, not a huge recruit uh, out of Florida. He was the number 548 player in the class of 2018. He's 10 and two as a starter. So, I mean, it's hard when Penn State and Michigan aren't good and all of a sudden like beating Penn State, Michigan doesn't mean anything. It is hard to impress anybody in the Big Ten. So it's like the Penn, he got famous on the Penn State dive, right? That's what made him famous in week one. He didn't have great stats in that game, but he made a winning play when it mattered. And then he did put up stats in against Michigan and against Ohio State. He threw for 342 yards and three touchdowns against Michigan. 320, two touchdowns, two picks against Michigan State, 491 and five touchdowns against Ohio State. So there's like, right, we've had a lot of discussions about that Ohio State-Indiana game and like, how real was it, whatever. Does anybody remember anyone throwing for 491 yards against Ohio State? I don't care how bad their defense was. I don't care if it was what half it was in. I don't care what the score was when it happened. He threw for 491 yards against Ohio State. Like, nobody does that. Right, but I, I think that's kind of the point. I think that is the Michael Penix thing and that's the indiana thing still too right i mean you have to acknowledge 491 yards and five touchdowns you all still have to acknowledge that i believe all 10 of those wins that michael Penix has are against teams that ended those seasons with losing records but again so but it's like you're gonna it's gonna be impossible to impress anybody so he beat michigan and penn state indiana didn't beat michigan and penn state for decades he beat them in the same year and then all of a sudden it's like well it doesn't count because penn state and michigan sucked listen Michigan and Penn State both have good players. Their seasons got jacked last year. Like the idea of like, we're going to like act like, well, it was only Penn. What are we talking about? Then like, it's like, no. Then the only thing that matters is beating Ohio State, which nobody does. So on some level, it's like the fact of Indiana beating Michigan and Penn State in a truncated season contributed to them having a losing record. So then it's like he doesn't get credit for beating a team that's under 500 when the fact that he beat them is why they're under 500. Penn State won their last four games to end the year or whatever. Like, I just – I don't disagree. I, I would rather – if somebody's going to make an argument to not have Indiana second, I would rather it be because you're in love with Ryan Helinski, you're in love with Graham Mertz, you're in love with Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy, rather than, like, Michael Penix isn't that good because I think – he showed a lot of stuff and he made like winning plays for his team in a screwy year. And there are not a lot of guys on this list who have made winning plays for their team. So I, I, I was pretty, I did not have a lot of hesitation putting Indiana second. It could be completely wrong. By the end of 2021, we could say Michael Penix is the 10th best team in this league. Just like we said with Adrian Martinez in 2018. There are flashes in the pan and in this league all the time. So I get that. 
He's not Superman. I don't think, I mean, he's not an NFL quarterback, right? He's not going to be a fourth round pick or anything. I think he's a winning quarterback in the Big Ten based on what he's done. So we don't have a huge disagreement, second, third, fourth, but I am curious about it. We've got to get to Ohio State. We've already gone too long. Here's the thing. As much as I yelled at Nathan for 20 minutes on this podcast about having Michigan second, if I am not ranking Michigan that high because I'm like, well, J.J. McCarthy, what do you know? Why do I have Ohio State first? Because Ohio State's not going to go 0 for 3. So if that's the reason, because they kind of have, Jack Miller's not, they kind of have two J.J. McCarthy's, right? That's kind of what they have. And that two J.J. McCarthy's is significantly better than one J.J. McCarthy and one Cade McNamara. But the other thing was, if I thought they were going to play J.J. McCarthy, I'd put them higher. Ohio State's playing their J.J. McCarthy because they don't have a Cade McNamara. And by the way, if they had a Cade McNamara, I think Ryan Day would play their J.J. McCarthy anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't think Ryan Day would be doing what Aaron McMahon is, is saying he thinks Jim Harbaugh will do. But Nathan, there is a way. You can now, this is like your final word on this possibly. There's a way that it's like, well, if, if, if you don't believe in five-star young quarterbacks – then why don't why aren't Maryland, Northwestern, and Wisconsin higher than Ohio State? Because all their quarterbacks are more experienced than what Ohio State has. Go ahead, Nathan. Well, right. No, I, but I think some of this is it comes down to we've had this problem before where there we get into some semantic arguments, right? When you come down to these sort of ranking things, and this is another example of it where I'm not necessarily looking at it as what do I think the coach will do you I thought we were ranking again what is the best situation like what do I think is the best quarterback situation in the Big Ten it's having the three quarterbacks that Ohio State has because the combined ceiling of those three guys is the high and I don't know how you could even argue like when if 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 a quarterback in each room pops to his full potential this year Ohio State should still be best whether it's CJ Stroud whether it's Kamal Court or whether it's even Jack Miller I think that that is still the best room that's why I put the Michigan room second though because if a quarterback pops in that room it's the quarterback it's the room with the second highest ceiling I think even for 2021 I think McCarthy or the other two guys that they have the combined what they could get out of that room would still be second for me so that's that's how I rank them but again the room that what matters is who plays so it's like we know I do think like that's because if like you're if your starting quarterback is average and you're like man this guy is tear- this backup is tearing it up in practice wait till he gets on the field next year he doesn't do anything for you wait till he gets on the field in week eleven oh man it's like well in the meantime Michigan gets ten weeks of average quarterback play but I do Stephen there is a little bit of a disconnect for me there that if we're talking about hey Ryan Helinski is an interesting mix of of upside but he has experience and Graham Mertz is kind of an interesting mix of that. Michael Penix is a winning player. Who's won big games and Talia Tonga Vailoa, you know, I was awesome in two big games last year. I know the Ohio state guys have done squat. Like I, I don't know how you could, here's the thing. And well, I'll, let me, Steven, go ahead with your thing first. Then I'll ask two questions to end this. We've gone too long. I apologize, but I thought the interviews were interesting. We're glad we put those in, but it helped us go over. Stephen, what? How did you think about putting Ohio State first? I think what for me it just boils down to this: the schedule works out, so I was able to have this thought process with it. Of the four teams that we're gonna, four or five teams we're actually considering for that top spot, really four: it's Indiana, Northwestern, Wisconsin, and, and Michigan. I'll throw them in there as well, and then Ohio State. Of those teams, by the time they play Ohio State, 
we don't know who the starting quarterback is for Ohio State, but are you confident is that whoever ends up being that guy is going to be better than Northwestern starter, Wisconsin starter, Indiana starter, Michigan starter by the time they get to that game? And for me, every time I went down, it, it was yes. I think regard whether it's Kyle McCord or C.J. Stroud, I think they'll be by the time they get to Indiana and Northwestern in a Big Ten or Wisconsin in a Big Ten championship game or Michigan or or anyone else, they'll be outside of Minnesota. They'll be the best best quarterback on the field. I think we had this discussion a couple months ago where we asked the question: Would you would you trade Ohio State's quarterback room for twenty twenty one? for Indiana's for 2021 and keep the rest of the team the same, would that give Ohio State a higher ceiling? And I think at the time, we leaned towards yes. I think... I can't remember. We did. I uh, think no, I, I think two we of did. us may yeah. have said that, if not all three. And I think I would probably say no at this point. I think I would change my mind on that. I would rather have Ohio State, I guess as this exercise proves, as this ranking proves, I would rather have Ohio State's room than Indiana's room in total. Because again, I think it is, who knows what happens over the course of a season, but the totality of Ohio State's room will get you better quarterback play than the totality of Indiana's room. Okay, I want to ask two questions and I want to get out of here. If this was not an Ohio State podcast, if we were three guys who covered Rutgers or Michigan or Penn State or Wisconsin or Nebraska or Iowa, would we have Ohio State first? And I'm not asking that as a Homer question, I, I I'm, I'm asking too, that as we're a, too close to it because yeah. we understand would somebody else who's just looking at recruiting rankings say, well, listen, I mean, they got McCord, they got Stroud, they got Miller. They'll figure it out. One of those guys will be really good. Or would somebody else on another beat be leaning more on experience and have Ohio state fifth? I think you'd see both. I think you would see some that probably would put them farther down and say, Hey, you got to prove it. Kind of like what I'm saying with like Ryan Holinsky or whatever. And I think you'd see others, though, that would say, well, there's only one room in the country that has two five-star quarterbacks right now, or in the Big Ten anyway. And um, whoever they end up, whoever loses this job will be maybe would still rank among the best quarterbacks in the Big Ten. No other room in the Big Ten can say that. Yeah, when you guys were listening to Bob Flounders talk about this, he kind of hinted at that. So it might just boil down to what team am I covering in the Big Ten is how I view this situation. If I'm covering a Michigan or a Penn State or or Maryland, I'll even throw them in in there as well. Or Wisconsin, I still might put Ohio State at the top just because I know what that pedigree is. And But if I'm covering an Iowa or a Michigan State, I probably wouldn't because I would probably lean more on experience. All right, last question. I'm going to go down the list, and the question is, can the quarterback for that team who will play against Ohio state beat Ohio state? That doesn't mean all by himself, but it means carrying a decent amount of the load, right? We don't have to know everything about their weapons or whatever, but like, is that guy, the kind of play Connor cook could beat Ohio state. Nate Stanley on that day could beat Ohio state, right? That's so how many quarterback situations in in the big 10 could beat Ohio state? Indiana. Can Indiana, can Michael Penix beat Ohio State? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I agree. Yes. Can Ryan Helinski beat Ohio State at Northwestern? I, I would, I guess I, you'd almost have to say yes. Like if they, if, 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 if Northwestern replicated last year's performance in the Big Ten Championship game, but got better quarterback play. Yeah, that would have beat Ohio State. Yeah. Can Graham Mertz in Wisconsin beat Ohio State? 
yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeses on all these so far, too. Can Tongia, can Talia, Tonga Bailoa, and Maryland beat Ohio State? Nathan. Who? Uh, yes. Steven? No. I would say yes. I'm not saying will, but like, is that like if the, you know, the 20% chance that, I mean, look at the two games the guy played against teams last year where he completed 71% of his passes and threw three touchdown passes. And I know, again, you said this wasn't necessarily something to factor in too much, but I'm, I'm intrigued by the rest of the talent that's growing on that roster, too, as much as it wouldn't have to just right. be his, him going out there and scrambling around and doing things. That's, no. that's why I'm saying no with him, because I don't it might it still might not be enough with him. While with those other guys that we've already named, if they do that, it might be enough just based on other factors. Can Michigan's quarterback, whoever it is, when they play Ohio State, beat Ohio State? Yes. Yes. I say yes. Can Tanner Morgan in Minnesota beat Ohio State? Yes. Yes. Can Sean Clifford in Penn State beat Ohio State? No. Uh, I th- I think I would say yes. I would actually say no on Clifford too. Like, does that mean I don't think Penn State can beat Ohio State? No. Can Penn State like block a punt and play really good defense and do something and win like twenty-one to seventeen? Maybe. Like, will Sean Clifford make any play in that game that, like, all right, I'll give him a guess. And also, could he be a David Blau, Nate Stanley? I think so. I, I'm saying no. And then also, with Minnesota, if that game wasn't number one, my answer with that would be no. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. So, um, the, of the on, on my list, and we're not going to do a total list, but, like, the three Big Ten West teams that Ohio State is playing – they are not getting Northwestern, who was third on my list. They're not getting Wisconsin, who was fourth on my list. They're getting Minnesota, who was seventh. They're getting Nebraska, who was ninth, and they're getting Purdue, who's fourteenth. So, like, fortuitous for Ohio State that they don't. They might. They'll face probably maybe Helensky or Mertz in the Big Ten championship game. They're not getting them in the regular season. So, um, but that's. I mean, roughly right. That's seven quarterbacks that we think could play well enough to beat Ohio State this season. Which is, I think if we had done this exercise in previous years, I, I would doubt that we would get to seven. I would think there might be years in the Big Ten where we're doing this in May, we get like three, right? It's just that, again, it's this mix of experience because it's like, why are we doing it? Penix, experience. Holinsky, experience slash pedigree. Wisconsin, mostly pedigree with Mertz. Maryland, mostly pedigree with Tonga Bailoa. Michigan, mostly pedigree. Minnesota experience, Penn State experience, right? So it's like, it's an interesting mix. Nathan, I think it's an interesting group of Big Ten quarterbacks. I think the quarterback play in the Big Ten, I think like the, like the offensive player of the week in the Big Ten might be like a really good performance every week because I think there's going to be a couple quarterbacks that are going to get some stuff done every week. Not a bunch of guys who will be great every week, but it'll be like, oh, Talia Tonga Bailoa was like, 21 of, of 31 for 319 yards and four touchdowns this week. Wow. Like, I think that'll happen. And I think Tanner Morgan might do that. And Ryan Helinski might do that. And Cade McNamara or JJ McCarthy might do that, which is good for the big 10. I think there are too many years where if you're getting down to even just like the fourth best quarterback in the big 10, you're getting the inconsistency of Adrian Martinez, or you're getting the very low ceiling of Sean Clifford. And then after that, very quickly, you're getting into just like central casting stiffs that don't have really any upside at all. And you don't have that in the big 10 this year. I think there's just interesting guys going down to 10, 11 spots. I mean, uh, even places like uh, 
um, Purdue or Iowa. I mean, there's guys at those places that if the if things go right, that something interesting could happen. All right, Stephen, you got a final word? No, I, I think you guys pretty much summed it up. It's going to be an interesting year in the Big Ten from a quarterback perspective and to see how things shake out because at least eight or nine teams have competent quarterbacks. And then obviously the, the bottom half is what it is. I think there will be a lot of weeks where we are getting ready. We are analyzing the Ohio State opponent that week, and we're saying things like, well, you know, if they get a great game from this guy who has done it before, right, that it'll be the possibility will be there. It won't just be like, ugh, Ohio State's going to win by 50. It'll be like, well, they've got to be on alert because this guy at least has the ability every now and then to do something. Okay. That went long. Should we, uh, real quick, should we, we should maybe tease what we have coming later this summer because it kind of coattails on this a little bit. Um, we yes, were gonna, tease away. We are going to do a ranking. like It's going to be like a daily feature on the site. A ranking of, and I'm sure we'll do something on the podcast with it too, a ranking of the 50 best players Ohio State will play in 2021. And I think that there will be more quarterbacks on it this year than there might be in an average year, especially for around the Big Ten. I think we would have a lot of like defensive players, offensive linemen, things like that, running backs, linebackers. This year, there might actually be more quarterbacks than in a normal Big Ten year. And again, we're going to do that for the regular season. So like Ryan Holinsky and, and Graham Mertz won't be on it because they might right. face him in the Big Ten championship game. We're going to look at the 12 regular season games, guys we know that Ohio State is going to have to deal with. We're also changing Buckeye Futures Fridays to Buckeye Football Futures, Nathan, if you want to explain that. Yeah, which I, I think I've accidentally called it that in the past. So we're just going to switch and call it that, mostly because we're not going to be doing it on Fridays anymore. We got we, we love the BFFs, and we think that's a good fit for a name. But just the way we want to do the podcast going through the summer and, and beyond that, it doesn't fit on Fridays anymore. So it's going to be Thursdays, so don't let that fool you. The F no longer stands for Fridays. It can stand for really whatever you want the Fs to stand for. Just use your imagination. But it, that, the recruiting podcast will be on Thursdays. So that'll be next, and then we have uh, something planned uh, for Friday, and then that's that Friday spot is when we'll start doing a lot of the Buckeye retalkables and Buckeye fly effect and that kind of thing. All right, thanks for hanging in. I think I hope you guys know more than you did when this podcast started, which is the intention here. Sometimes we're just here to have a good time and goof around. I thought that was a lot of information, and I hope I hope that helped you. It helped me to have those three guests on. So thanks to Randy Johnson, thanks to Aaron McMahon, thanks to Bob Flounders, for Stephen and Nathan. I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk.